0: Uh huh. Uh uh-huh. Oh, yeah.
1: I'm already dead. Yeah.
2: Uh uh-huh. oh, already dead. You're listening to the iZombie podcast of Robin and Steph, a fan podcast about the CW show iZombie. My name is Robin, and I'm already dead.
3: Uh I'm Stephanie, and no one ever accused me of being all that smart oh.
2: <laughs> and we wanna welcome back to the show to collect his golden fedora uh Bob Dearden hey. <laughs> uh and uh we just wanna I don't know give you a round of applause for this episode of I would consider it like top five, quite honestly, like at wow. least top five, yeah.
4: Well, that's high praise. I, uh, as usual, um, cannot take full credit for it, but I uh, certainly will accept the accolade on behalf of everybody who uh, who is responsible.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. I mean, we we I read an, uh, an Entertainment Weekly article that was just like Rob Thomas, great job on this episode that you did. And he's like, actually, <laughs> it had nothing to do with it. Do you want to talk yeah. a little bit about the you know what what uh, brought this episode into being?
4: Yeah, and, um, I read. A, Article as well, and was somewhat surprised <laughs> by um, Rob, Rob's perspective on it because um, obviously I I was aware that it had been an idea in different forms that had been pitched over the years, but um, he never un- until I read the article I didn't know the full scope of his feelings on why we we hadn't gone down this road before. Um, so that was fun, but mm-hmm. um, it was a it was a combination of factors. So that was obviously a big one that was already you know one of the the brains I guess that I've been to uh explore for since about the beginning of the show and um the other thing that sort of is just like behind the scenes and logistical um was that you know we expanded the scope of the show so much uh each season and that comes with financial costs obviously when you're you know uh having to cast a whole army of Fillmore Graves people and do a bunch of stuff with uh, Romero zombies and things like that Sort mm. of grows and grows. And, and um, you know, sometimes we need to kind of pull back and do an episode that uh, takes a bit of money because we've gone a little bit over budget on other episodes. Um, so that's, I mean, that's- Pretty standard, as far as I understand it. Um, as far as any te- television show goes, some episodes are going to cost a little more than what your pattern is, Some are, are hopefully going to cost a little. The average out to uh, to your number by the end. And then was uh, we had taken a calling it a bottle episode, um, but it, it's not a traditional bottle episode because that would be just like sort of everyone in one location.
1: Yeah,
4: um, you know, like the community where it's just uh, Abed and uh, and uh, Jeff in the restaurant the dinner with Andre thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't even remember if that went full bottle or not, but that's the idea, right? You're just in one location. Um, but in our version, it's just like, what can we, what kind of story can we construct that doesn't um, require us to go off of our stages very much. And so we knew coming into this episode that it was going to be the episode where we wanted to sort of pull back on how much we were spending so that we could afford what we wanted to do for the, you know, the final three, which were obviously going to be bigger mm-hmm. than our, our customary episodes as we wrap everything up. Uh, and so within that construct, um, I thought that the noir idea that had been on the table for a while would work out really well because even though you don't get to go anywhere outside of, you know, the precinct or um, scratching post slash Donnie B. Goods, or Liv's apartment, um, it would allow us to do something atmospheric that sort of made it feel like the scope was still, you know, as big as if we were going out into the world, uh, without actually having to do that. So that was kind of the, the impetus, I guess. And I, I don't know that I can tell you, cause the, the final decisions are obviously never mine. Um, I don't know if I could tell you why, like how, how much weight was given to the quality of the idea versus the, um, you know, the, just the savings of it and the, the kind of like the boring behind the scenes aspect of it. Um, but ultimately, uh, you know, they, after a, a little bit of a struggle, um, it was sort of approved. And luckily the the showrunner that took over from uh, a little before halfway through season five, John Enbaum, who um, also did Party Down and was a writer on Veronica Mars, uh, is a big noir aficionado, much more so than I am. So once we you know, once he sort of accepted that, and Rob approved it, as the you know as the story world that we were going to explore going forward, he was uh, a pretty amazing and and reflexive resource. Like he just knew he's got like an encyclopedia of all those movies in his head. So mm-hmm. we're just it in the room, and we're sort of pitching abstract ideas that are probably more based on like you know Frank Drebin or or um you know the the parody versions that that into. Into I guess my library of of stuff I've seen in the noir world, um, you know he had the like all the initial inspirations just sort of cataloged in his head, so it was pretty, it was pretty great that way that you know it was right in his wheelhouse anyway. Um, and so a lot of the, a lot of the construct of the episode and like how the case sort of twisted and turned, all that stuff was was coming from him and then from our research on, uh, you know on all those movies of the the sort of 30s through the 50s.
2: If, if, uh, somebody, you know, maybe a young person or somebody is not a huge movie buff was watching this episode and was like, you know what? I like this look. I like this feel. I mean, I want to check out some older noir films. Is there any that you would, uh, you would suggest that they, they try out?
4: Uh, well, I did do a deep dive, um, and, and had a little like, uh, one man film festival, uh, <laughs> once we kind of went down this road. Uh, Some of the titles are going to escape me because they're sort of obscure, like unless you're a big noir aficionado. Mm -hmm. But um, I got an audio book series that was, I can't remember the exact name Mm -hmm. of it, but it was like a BBC production, BBC radio production um, of a bunch of Philip Marlowe stories. Uh, And so that's where like the voice sort of solidified in my head. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, touch of evil is a pretty, pretty good touchstone. Uh, Kiss me deadly is one that I can remember watching. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a few more that, uh, that are just escaping me. Like Casablanca is kind of, uh, in that neighborhood for me, even though it's not necessarily, um, it doesn't necessarily hit all the beats of the genre that we were trying to hit, but just for sort of like the feel and the attitude and the, the cynicism, mm-hmm. um, off the top of my head, that's all the noirs. I mean, Chinatown obviously is, yeah. is a big one. Um, but yeah, just going back to those audio books was the, um, was the real eye opener for me in terms of like, uh, you know, what, what the foundation of this, um, of this genre was back when it was just sort of pulp novels and it wasn't, uh, it didn't have the, uh, cinematic element just yet. For sure. And, and, you know, that was, definitely one
2: of the things I wanted to ask you about because you know uh spoilers uh at the end of our podcast we usually do a dumb skit and uh <laughs> I wrote something in the noir tone and I was like how did they even do that uh so uh, mine is probably uh just elementary school uh kind of noir but um uh, did, what went into like i mean how much thought did you come in like you like okay it 's not just a street it 's a street that uh, that hangs low you know like and all the different the, the language and the turn of phrase did you just listen to those audiobooks kind of uh, gave you a lot of good ideas or were, was there more more to it than that
4: yeah, I mean admittedly, um, there are some moments in terms of phrase and and expressions that are almost just cut and paste from different uh, like i'd be listening and i'd hear a line and be like oh that's gold yeah. and, and just kind of write it down and then try to like um you know fit it into our world and our context um so there there <laughs> there was a lot of uh cheating in a sense um but you know you listen to that stuff like i would just listen to it on my commute and it just kind of like seeps in that style of language it's so evocative that uh it's not that hard to mimic once you're immersed in it
2: yeah, uh, I I definitely would would have to immerse into it for like a month before I could even
4: <laughs> come close to a yeah. pull off in this episode. So well, I mean, that's what it was. It was you know because we usually from the time we start talking about an episode and until the the writer's draft is handed in, um, it's probably about that long. Yeah. Um, you know, going through all the outline phases and then onto the script itself. So it was just every day. Uh, you know, back and forth to work or at the gym or going on a jog or whatever, I would just always have it on. And, you know, sometimes I wasn't paying that much attention, but um there's, there's always something that kind of, uh you know, just kind of catches your eye or catches your ear Um because it is such a, I mean, it's familiar, obviously they're, they're, you know, it's not so anachronistic that we don't understand any of what they're saying, but you know, the metaphors they use are so sort of outdated and, um, And in the best possible way, you know, that it just kind of like it conjures that feel. And then we've all, even if you haven't, you know, done a one-person film festival, uh, watching all these movies, I mean, they've been copied and parodied um, and, you know, like recycled so many times that we're all familiar with them, subconsciously at least. So it it doesn't take much when you're just listening to some great actor do the voice of uh, Philip Marlowe or whatever. To imagine yourself on like a rain-soaked street, and you know all the all the sort of imagery that goes along with it.
2: Yeah, it seems like it kind of comes like you go, you're like not just like saying it's a street, it's it's a rain-soaked street, and and then it reminds you of like a you know someone stepping out of a bath or something strange like that. You know, yeah, I just love how some of these sentences, you know, in Nor language, just kind of go on and on and on. <laughs>
4: Yeah, I mean the the beauty of those books and everything that sort of was inspired by them is those like everything is a metaphor, right? Like yeah. it, it's a description like a, a sort of a um like a fairly vague kind of nuts and bolts description of whatever's happening whether it's the atmosphere or the setting or the character you're meeting for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um and then it's always followed by like a um <laughs> and then, it, and then it's some elaborate you know, comparison that, you know, it always, at least when I was listening to it, I, I have no idea what it would have been like at the time, but when I was listening to it, it just always, you have to pause for a beat and be like, wait, what? <laughs> oh oh, yeah. Okay. I get it. I get the comparison. So, yeah.
2: I mean, that's just a brief touch on, uh, the writing process, but you were up, uh, you were up there during, uh, the filming of the episode, and uh, I, I'm I'm sorry. i probably not gonna get the director's name uh, correct. So did you did you know what, what his name is? Like Tuan, Tuan Lee. Yeah, Tuan.
4: Tuan, Lee, um, Tuan is uh, one of the original iZombie family members. Um, he he's been in post production and continued all the way through from. I'm not sure if he was on the pilot. He may have been, but certainly season one, uh, all the way through to the end, and directed his first episode for us on uh, in season four. Um, I'm gapping on which episode it was. I think it might've been, um, the one where she was on the player brain or the, like the pickup artist brain.
2: Oh, don't hate the player, Uh, hate the brain.
4: Yeah. Uh, don't quote me on that, but I I (laughs) feel like that might've been his first episode, but anyway, he's, you know, obviously got a lot of experience with the show and, um, you know, really knows how, uh, like the feel and the voice of the show and, and what Rob wants because they spend so much time together in the, uh, post-production suites, Putting together the episodes, um, and then did a great job on his his previous episode. And uh, their offices are right down the hall from ours, so we'd see them, um, you know, outside at lunch or in the hallway or whatever. And when he found out what we were discussing—that it was potentially going to be a noir episode—he was pretty excited because <laughs> I guess that is, uh, you know, a genre that he loves and has a has a great familiarity with as well. So right from the get go, he was um, on board and and you know well positioned to to know how to shoot it and, and light it and, and get the right look and feel. And I think was, you know, doing like a lot of work, um, even before we went into official prep, just in terms of like kind of researching and, um, you know, trying to, to pre-plan, you know, certain things that like things that he wanted to play with in terms of you see it in the show where, there's certain shots that are angles of our sets that we've been on a thousand times, but you've never seen it from that particular camera position. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, Mm. I think that, you know, a lot of that comes from all the work that he put into it and obviously the talent and the familiarity he had with the, with the genre to begin with. Um, And then also, you know, a fair bit of credit goes to Michael Whale, who is our director of photography again, since uh, season one. Uh, He's also directed a handful of episodes over the last few years um, and he had a, a real good idea of how to make it, you know, how to how to play with what we already had and, and the, you know, the the sets that we've been in um, so many times before, but to subvert both our show and the conventions of the genre at the same time. Mm. So it was a you know pretty collaborative effort from those guys. Obviously, we, you know, between John and I tried to indicate certain things in the script, but we're not directors, so it's not like we're mapping out any of that stuff. That's that comes down to the you know, the director and the uh the camera department and I think they did a pretty phenomenal job.
3: Yeah, it's surprising to hear that it this was a cost a cost saving episode because there were so many little flourishes that were special, the lighting and the the color, the black and white And going back and forth, it was a very special episode that stands out. Yeah,
4: it looks great. Well, I'm glad you feel that way. And that was, you know, like I said in the beginning, that was kind of the hope that it wouldn't feel like, um, you know, we were just trying to save money. It, It would feel like we were doing something a little different. And it just so happens that to light a set a certain way, I guess, doesn't really cost any more than to light it the way we had been doing. Um, and if you can limit the, you know, the number of cast and the number of locations that you have to pay for and that sort of thing, like that's where a lot of your savings come in. So I'm speaking a little bit out of school here. Obviously I don't do any budget stuff, but we, we do get the big picture report from production saying like, you know, if you could save us a bit of money here, that would be great. Um, and so that was the intent. And I, I guess I'm not entirely sure, but I think we, we managed to get ourselves back in line budgetarily. Um I, I know we ended up affording all the things that we wanted to do in the last three episodes, so I'm assuming that uh the plan worked out as we'd intended. So you afforded things
2: like uh, the
4: worldwide zombie invasion,
2: there's some sort of super zombie as well that we're gonna get into.
4: Uh Right. Yeah, I don't wanna I don't wanna spoil anything, but Major um, turns
2: into a werewolf at one point.
4: There are uh, Independence Day level special effects for the alien invasion as well. Right, cost a few bucks. So,
2: well, that's perfect. But the you know, it you know, it's very timely. Know, like we have five hundred thousand people that are going to storm Area Fifty One apparently. So, you know, it's very timely. This show is always is that timely. right? <laughs> it's something I read on Twitter.
4: Oh <laughs> wow, well. was trending.
2: Area Fifty One was trending for a while. <laughs>
4: Anyway, I, uh, that sounds dangerous for those 500,000 people. <laughs> I have to watch them. I'm sure it was just a petition
2: they all signed. Right. <laughs> all right. Let's get into the recap of the episode and you can give us any, any sort of bits of uh, information that you want to share as we go through. And we'll, sure. we'll just constantly uh, uh, tell you how amazing the show was as we go along. So you'll have to listen. I
4: will to not that. argue with any of that. <laughs> so uh, I love the, the,
2: the first chapter title card All Roads Lead to Romero. I thought that was very, <laughs> very good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, the Joint Chiefs meet. There's uh, the threat level has been raised because of the whole Piesta incident. And um, General Mills is ready to level Seattle after seeing his daughter on the news. And, uh, he has, there's 48 hours to consider. And, uh, so we go to, uh, uh, Ravi breaking the news to Liv that her dad is Beanpole Bob. And so Liv goes right to Martin who says, uh, he did, yes, he did create Utopium. Um, and Liv is pretty outraged about it. And she says, thanks for nothing, Bob, which I got to say... Is that something you recorded for like a text message uh noise to go off, you know?
4: <laughs> I didn't know but I it, I always um I always have like a bit of insecurity when I go up to set that the that the actors um will not be super impressed with with what I've given them. And you know, it's of course it's not always me it's i mean it's never me making the big decisions and it's not always a line that i even wrote that they may not uh that they may not be in love with but that's one of my little like uh you know uh confidence dents when i'm hanging out on set it's like oh fuck what if they think this is just garbage <laughs> and so it amused me in my head it, it was like you know in my final iZombie episode um rose who is uh delightful and would never say anything like this to me in person i i hope um but saying like you've <laughs> he, he, written seven garbage episodes thanks for nothing
2: <laughs> uh the next chapter is donny v betters Dottie ben betters rather and uh, we we get the first hint of what's to come here when we get this low angle with Liv and Ravi coming through the door with the light streaming behind them. So it's kind of yeah. like uh, it's coming. It's uh, something interesting coming here um, because it it looks like just kind of like a regular Eye Zombie episode right now,
4: you know? Yeah, we haven't certainly haven't turned the uh, the color down. Yeah, um, but yeah, I think I, I can't speak for Tuan, but uh, I think that. You know, maybe the strategy was sort of like when we knew we were going to have this change to, um, to not come in super conventional and, and, um, and static so that when the change happened, it wasn't like a complete one eighty. It was, you know, a little, um, a little more tempered. That would be my guess, but I'm not too, too sure. He might've just liked that shot, which I did too. So.
2: Yeah, it was cool. Um. All right. So uh, Donnie is irritated that they made everything uh, so murder (laughs) scene-y and it is a murder scene. (laughs) That was funny. Um,
3: Yeah. I love, uh, you know, startup, small business owner, Donnie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's so of
4: I kind of love how, like, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in the show that seems – Small potatoes compared to like the big picture threat of uh zombie apocalypse or nuclear destruction. Yeah. And and I especially enjoy that Donnie's main concern uh with all that's going on is uh is his his strength as a or his success as a small business owner. Yeah. Uh so trying to
3: keep a business going in this zombie economy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's
4: tough, man.
2: So we walk into a room where that we haven't seen before. We haven't seen the brothel a brothel room before in, in, uh, in the scratching post. But, uh, right. again, it's like another hint of what's to come. It's really dimly lit. It's uh, it's got kind of like a pink hue to it. I thought it was interesting.
4: Yeah. And we had talked about, uh, on multiple occasions, you know, we'd always reference the brothel. And so in the writer's room, uh, it had come up many times as like, potentially let's do a scene there because we've referred to it without ever showing it. And for one reason or another, it just always fell by the wayside. So that was one on a a checklist of items that felt like, you know, nice to get to before the end. Yeah,
3: yeah, because, well, with Candy's character, like, it's really sad and dark that uh, she's being forced, you know, into being a madam. So... For this light and funny show, it's kind of good that we haven't really gone there. Yeah. And it's just kind of in your imagination.
4: Yep. That's a fair point. And Candy has had a, a pretty rough string of bad luck since the whole, uh, you know, zombie thing started. Mm-hmm. Um, not too many people have have gone through what Candy's gone through.
2: So. Yeah. Uh, I love Ravi's line here. So this is where the magic happens. <laughs> 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 and we heard that uh it's the room of buddy lafonda is lafonda a napoleon dynamite reference
4: <laughs> uh not intentionally okay. <laughs> I, I don't that might have been i we went through so many names because we tried to make them all um you know some sort of references or homages to femme fatales in this case and yeah. um in noir movies um and so many of them didn't clear a lot of them specifically for that reason a lot of them because the like whatever combination we made of you know first name of a, a character from this movie with last name from a character from that movie uh are actually people that exist and so we couldn't oh, wow. do it I, how we ended up on bunny la Fonda, i i could not tell you <laughs> but i don't recall anyone bringing up napoleon dynamite <laughs>
2: Uh, and then y- y- this is a, you know you might not catch it on your first watch, but on your second watch you'll definitely see Ravi spots the uh, ticket for uh, bone whistles. Which that's right is that a euphemism? Since we're inside a broth- brothel,
4: is that? No, it's a, it's a dry cleaner. Uh, I think you're gonna like this. So it's dry as a bone, clean as a whistle.
2: Ah, <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> I do. Uh, okay. So the body was found by Jane Harland. Is that one that cleared or is this just a, a random name you had to come up
4: with? Uh, I mean, that was probably our sixth attempt or something like that. Yeah. But, um, uh, Jane Greer was the actress that we were referencing. I think that's her name. Um, and, Jane. uh, oh, yeah and then harlan i can't it it, there's someone somewhere in the oeuvre of noir in the library of noir books or films Mm -hmm. um that has a last name harlan i just i can't remember it offhand and then the pi is frank chisel yeah (laughs) well that was not unlike um beanpole bob like uh (laughs) both when John was when Rob was in the room and John was um you know was working under him and when John was running the show he has a habit of just instantly coming up with a placeholder name that kind of he has a, a somewhat absurd sense of humor and so it's always like these sort of absurd names and Beanpole Bob was just what he offhandedly called um, this, you know, the drug dealer before we knew much about what he was. <laughs> and it was just kind of this joke, like, I, I don't even know where it came from. It made no sense. Um, and then we just kept calling him that because we thought it was funny. And lo and behold, it ended up being the like we, we knew we needed a um, an alias for him so that we could hide his true identity when they yeah. were talking about him and it was just as good as anything else and we'd been calling him that for you know a month or whatever so it just stuck um and frank chisel was another one that obviously makes a little more sense because of the the mike hammer uh reference um that, that's what that was oh, by the way oh uh, okay yeah but it was just john being sort of goofy yeah. and saying like instead of instead of his last name being hammer let's pick another hand tool
1: <laughs> that's awesome
4: but yeah it, it, and it it i mean it still makes me laugh and it's very fitting i think for if this if this absurd character ever did exist that probably would be his name um yeah i, I love that you brought up
2: uh beanpole bob because once we started hearing that name steph and i were going have we seen anybody tall uh right <laughs> and skinny like we're waiting we're looking i don't know that person looked kind of tall i don't know um all right so uh so we have uh the dead detective Frank chisel. And, uh, I just wanted to say that, I don't know if you guys thought about this at all, but, uh, there was a private investigator named Coleman Baker in the episode dirt nap time played by uh, Roger cross. And, uh,
4: yeah, well that, that came up, um, in previous incarnations, you know, when I, like when I was pitching it over the years, um, I think I was first a little, um, Not upset, but a a little bummed that we had done this PI character and not necessarily colored him in the way that I had been pitching my version. Right. I thought, oh, we've got a PI in the world. We can use him now, but we didn't establish him as this, so it wouldn't be be the guy I'd been thinking of. Um, And then for the same reason, we didn't use that character again here because what we needed to do, I guess, or wanted to do to make live on the brain as sort of fun as possible and, and to, you know get into like borderline spoof territory um we just we needed somebody that uh we could just have clive describe as kind of a wingnut Mm -hmm. in this particular way um in order to sell like how far into character live goes and if it was that character i think it would have i mean i think it bumped people anyway that that such a man existed in 2019 Mm -hmm. but i think it would have bumped people even more if they're like no we saw that guy he wasn't like this at all so that's that's why we didn't that road.
2: Yeah, that's what I was thinking, that, you know, he didn't really particularly act like he was from a noir novel or anything like that. So, Right. I love how giddy Liv and Ravi get when they realize that Liv's going to have to eat the brain of a hard-boiled private actor. <laughs> it's
4: so funny. Yeah. It, it is funny. Like, I haven't done the math or anything, but um, I wonder if you track the reactions every time, like the ebb and flow of when she's worried and, mm. and what Ravi's reaction uh, you know, after that is versus when she's kind of like, Oh, this will be fun. And what what that says about her psychology overall.
2: (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting because, uh, you know, I I love how Ravi says what their roles are going to be in this scenario, but it, it, it's pretty much what their roles are anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Clive, careful what you wish for, because he's dealt with so many, uh, crazy brains in the
4: past but um he sure has (laughs) and what a what a treasure trove of um of silent acting malcolm is Mm. i mean the the expressions like it is a bottomless well of stuff that he can bring (laughs) without saying a word to uh to let you know exactly how clive is feeling about about a given situation (laughs) So uh, we really get into this episode
2: during the uh, cooking montage, which I love. It just starts with this little little trumpet, you know, bringing in some slow jazz. And the color slowly, like, drains out of the picture as she's making hard-boiled eggs.
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is great. Yeah, that was a, it was a nice transition for sure. That I don't believe – I mean, the hard-boiled eggs were in the script, but I don't think we necessarily gave any kind of um, – transition to the noir direction and we certainly didn't um have the music cue written in as far as i recall so that's all you know Tuan and and post-production mm-hmm. uh sort of making those choices which i thought was a really nice uh springboard into like oh, okay we're into a different world now and and uh,
2: so yeah live is already waiting in the shadows when J- clive brings jane in. there's thunder Cl- clive explains it's a power outage <laughs> Right, and I love that she has the flask to go with the uh, trench coat. It's like, where does she get this stuff from? Oh, whatever.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, she has got the most elaborate, uh, you know, costume closet. Yes, or or as we might have called it in Canada, those of us who watched a show called Mister Dress Up, uh, a tickle trunk, which is where where (laughs) Mister Dress Up got all of his costumes. Um, But yeah, I mean, she's not hurting at Halloween at this point in her uh, in her zombie career. Oh gosh, you know, much like they discover
2: Martin's uh room at the end, I would love it if Ravi discovered a hidden room in uh, Liv's apartment and it's just chock full of costumes. <laughs>
4: <laughs> you would need an entire room. It would be it would be a walk-in closet, probably bigger than her living room, Yeah. to accommodate all of her different uh, you know, her various personas. Um, so
2: yeah, the, the her I mean, what was it like uh with uh, Rose getting into this character uh, initially. I mean, I don't know if how much you saw of her uh, working the, on this or any like first takes she might've had, but uh, this is so much I fun. mean,
4: yeah, I thought she was unbelievable. I mean, I think she's always unbelievable. Um, I think this was, you know, kind of a high wire act, which I guess a lot of them probably are. I just, I pay attention less to the ones I don't write, but, um, <laughs> you know, to to make it, as fun as possible, without it being too goofy, I think is a is a very fine line and and sort of an underappreciated skill set. Um, and I, I'm not privy to her process at all. Uh, all I know is that she goes from, you know, eight shooting days of doing one brain to pivoting the very next day uh, to eight more days of doing a totally different brain. So I'm sure her process is is involved and takes a lot of work and and most of her free time. Um, what I saw was she showed, on, showed up on set and just kind of had it, hmm. um, which was pretty amazing and fantastic. Uh, and and I don't want to leave out um, Raul either, who, oh, yeah. I mean, he only had the one scene where he sort of goes into that mode. But, uh, oh, my God, did he he sounded exactly like the audiobooks I would I was listening <laughs> to, to the Point where I asked him if he happened to listen to the same ones, I think. And, uh, and then he told me it was from a video game that he was sort of using as inspiration. Yes. He Uh, he tweeted about
2: that. I think today or yesterday, he said, Max Payne, you know, cast me in Max Payne.
4: Oh, is that what it was? I'd forgotten the specific game, but yeah, I mean, he, he just nailed it. But Rose, I mean, to, to get back to the, uh, the one who was playing this character, the whole show, um, she, from what I saw, she just had it, um, from day one. And, and even more than that, like, you know, every take there was a little something she would discover, like a, just a little tiny movement or, or posture or inflection on a word or, um, you know, whatever the case may be that, that just kept sort of elevating it, um, you know, beyond what we had written on the page. And, and that's always very cool to see. I mean, like I said, I, I don't pay attention as much to the episodes I haven't written, but, um, especially when it is one that I've written. It's, uh, it's very cool to see that somebody can kind of feel like what the best version of the, of the shit you vomited out for them to say is, and, and they just make it work. And it's, yeah, it's pretty cool.
2: So you do just pay, pay, uh, special attention to your episodes and we we're just talking about your episodes in particular. Like, is this, is this your favorite one that, uh, that Rose has done? Like your favorite, uh, live
4: brain favorite. Um, it might be, uh, you know, the, the goonstruck, the, the hockey goon that was from oh, Canada right, yeah. was was obviously a little closer to my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and watching her, uh, you know, skate around the ice and hammer people <laughs> was uh, something I'll never forget. Yeah. Um, but from just from the writing side of things, this one might have been just slightly above that in terms of the whole experience, in part because I got to be there for the whole thing. Um, and in part because um, it, it was one that I felt that maybe I had a tiny bit more. Uh, of a hand in overall, like it's always a percentage, you know, and in, in terms of like how much you influence what the story is going to be in the room. And then how much of what you try to write as a, you know, as a lower level, lower level person on staff, how much of what you try to write makes it into the final draft. And it felt like this one was maybe the highest percentage I had of all the scripts. And mm-hmm. so that brings with it a certain satisfaction or, or ego boost that maybe puts it a little bit over the top. And it was just, you know, it was, because it was so different, too. It was a little bit of a of a swing where we were like, I don't know, people might think this is, I'm a shit. <laughs> um, and the reaction that I've seen, which isn't, you know, it's just a few people on Twitter, and obviously you guys who know the show Inside Out, everyone seems to be pretty happy with the choice to do something different. Um, and that's all we, we could ask for, is that, you know, people didn't write it off because it was uh, such a departure. Uh,
2: there have been different genre TV shows that decide to... Uh, just change it up for an episode and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I think this one really did work.
4: Well, thank you for saying that. I think so too. <laughs> uh,
2: so we go out after the interrogation room to, uh, we have Clive at his old desk and Liv is staring out a window and I got to say I was on that set and there's
4: no window there.
2: <laughs> that window was put there.
4: <laughs> uh, no, there, there was a window there. We just never shot in that direction. Really? I don't remember a window being yeah. there yeah i mean it, it doesn't go to outside obviously it yeah, goes so yeah. like a, a big drop curtain that um has a painting of outside on it <laughs> um but yeah they had a whole thing where they they put a uh a, a sort of a rain machine um that just goes over the windowsill and so you can light through it from the outside and everything it's pretty uh pretty great which gave us the effect of you know the raindrop shadows on her face and everything um, so that was pretty cool. I'd never seen that before. Uh, I'm sure it's common among those who have more experience than I do on sets. But uh, I thought that was pretty cool. And, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that window wasn't – we didn't build that window. It's always been there. Oh,
2: okay. I'm going to have to go back and look at my the, the photos I took when I toured the set.
4: Um, well, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, it's very possible because
2: <laughs> – No, I'm probably more wrong. <laughs> I was there for, like, uh, maybe 45 minutes and constantly just walking around sputtering going – I can't'm I'm, I'm here okay I'm here right. <laughs> what do I do now <laughs> so, uh, so I love that uh, she has this line there's a million stories in the zombie city dollars to donuts this one ends up with ends with us sending Bunny to the big house and then Clive finds out that bunny is dead and she says make that a million to one million in one <laughs> and Clive's what the fuck reaction behind her? Yeah. So funny. It's pretty
4: like, great. I don't you know, I don't know. Sorry, go ahead, Seth.
3: I'm just like, okay, what universe are we in now? Like
4: <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, I'm sure there are a few viewers thinking the same thing. So, <laughs> Clive is sort of the conduit for the um the viewer who who is unwilling to suspend their disbelief. Yeah. Um I was going to say we I don't know who would be in charge of this, but I would just love a supercut of all of Clive's reaction faces, including the, you know, the takes that didn't necessarily make it onto the show. Uh, I think that supercut would last uh, like three hours, but I would watch all of them.
2: Well, I'm sure there's some iZombie super fans out there that are good at video editing that uh, should get on that and let us know when it's done. <laughs>
4: yeah, I, I have I it done be for the finale. If it is. <laughs> uh,
2: okay, so the next chapter is Dust to Dust Bunny. Uh, which is a, <laughs> a great one, uh, and <laughs> bunny's, bunny's dead in the freezer. Uh, and, uh, I love that. Uh, yeah. Liv says that bunny's not talking corpses are funny that way. And Ravi's like, actually, we, we get a lot of information from corpses. That's, that's <laughs> our job. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Liv does the thing where she, she's doing the classic private eye thing where she's kind of like talking out loud, the voiceover. And, you know, people just need to stand back and listen to her, work out her, her private detective thoughts out loud. And yeah. that there's no, like, there's no voiceover monologue this week. It's all, live. it's all coming out Liv's mouth this week.
4: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was a, a very conscious choice. And we talked about that in the room that, oh, we're doing a noir episode. That'll be perfect for Liv's VO, which we, you know, kind of ebbs and flows anyway, no matter mm-hmm. um, what the episode there, you know, whether there's room for it or whether it makes sense. it. it it sort of can be heavy and it can be light. And it was much heavier in earlier seasons, I think. Um, But my take was always, and I'm glad we went this way, was that it's sort of funnier and and a little more on character. uh, If she is VOing, except like in person uh, in the moment, (laughs) so that we get everyone's kind of reaction to it at the same time, (laughs) you know, who knows uh, you can never guess what the choice you didn't make would have looked like, but I, I feel like that was the right way to go. Yeah, well I believe when she's in Basio's
2: office later by herself, she's just talking out loud to herself too. So Yeah. <laughs> uh I like how she says tagger and bagger doc here, where you know Ravi could just be like, Hey, <laughs> actually you do that. I'm your boss. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh
2: so uh Donnie and Blaine mourn bunny, but Darcy is taken aback by uh Donnie saying it was just such a hassle having to replace her and she storms out. Uh, and, uh, and Liv steps out and says that dame's got you dizzy, Donnie. That's what dames do. I'll tell you something. They can break your heart if you never let them near it. They can't break your heart if you never let them near it in the first place. And, uh, I don't know. To to me, you know, she, Liv might be saying dames here, but I think she's thinking about her dad a little bit. Like, don't let them close to your heart. You know, they're going to end up breaking it. So I don't know if you were thinking the same thing when you were writing it, but
4: not that I can recall, but if it works as, like, an extra bit of layer, let's say that it was 100% intentional. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, just, it was just kind of funny thinking uh, this is what,
2: you know, Liv talking to Donnie about dames. But also, um, you know, she, she might be, in her own thoughts, working through what she just learned about her dad, which is monumental. Uh, yeah.
4: So Yeah, she's been on a roller coaster with old Beanpole mm-hmm. um, since we brought him back uh i wish we we'd maybe had a little more time with that storyline but uh, you know it's the way it goes and that's it's the way it is with us especially where we, we have so much plot um you know and only so many episodes to uh to kind of unravel it um but yes she has she's ha- has had a, a quite a few ups and downs with old beanpole over the last 5 6 weeks and, and the theory I kind of entertained here
2: on on the podcast, and I've kind of read about it online, it's not really my theory, but I've read some people thinking that maybe uh, the season's original intention was to have Eva be the Dolly character uh, this season. Uh, was that anything that was thought about at all? Because do you have a good like, live between
4: that. mom and dad? Yeah, I don't remember um, a discussion of that. I think from the beginning we had this idea of a, a sort of a PTA slash soccer mom who, you know, ends up being the most virulently anti-zombie bigot in town. Mm. Just this kind of a, a funny way to, to, I don't know, construct that character, frame that character. Um, and then the Eva stuff sort of came up separately of like, we really should, it's our last season. Uh, we really should get back to the family. Um, I think in retrospect, we might've realized that uh, there were some parallels between those two characters' stories and, okay. and, you know, perhaps uh, there could have been a way to, to merge them or marry them up in some way. But I also think that would have come w- with its own set of problems. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know which, you know, if that would have been the better choice or not, but um, I will say I, I love uh, Molly Hagan and I love Jennifer Irwin too, um, who both were, incredibly nice to me when i met them on set and uh and really nice to my dog uh which is always means more to me than someone being nice to me um and so i'm glad we got them both uh i I, you know i wish we could have more of molly over the over the years but there were valid reasons why story wise we wanted to focus on on other characters and other plot lines and it just you know attempts were made every season to kind of um figure out a storyline that could weave into the others that existed that involved, um, Eva and Evan Mm -hmm. and, uh, and just for one reason or another just ended up, uh, you know, getting jettisoned, but I am glad we finally got to, uh, to at least try and tie, tie up the family aspect of life in the, in the final season yeah for sure like i'm i'm so glad to 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 get some
2: answers about it because i mean my theory is that seattle is going to be uh nuked it's going to be destroyed so not knowing where eva and evan are if that happens it might have felt like oh man they should have touched on that even just a a line or something you know so but now getting some full scenes with them that was even better
3: yeah yeah um so ba- I do not subscribe to that theory. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, it's going to be great. It's going to be, you know, it's the cure is going to be discovered. It's going to be fine, everybody, and it's just going to end happily ever
4: after. Time will tell. Mm-hmm.
2: I love that the episode is called "All's Well That Ends Well," and there were some teaser images released, and it is basically Liv, Blaine, and Donny uh, around a well. <laughs> and I was like, I, I, I've been stressing the word "well" every time I've said that title, and, right. Uh, I, I'm so excited that the well is is there. I don't know what it's there for. What's going to happen?
4: Yeah, I wish I could uh, share it with no, you, but I like... think you'd rather you'd rather find out on the uh, on the air date.
2: Yeah, I love theorizing about it. Um, so uh, uh, yeah I, yeah, I love how this scene ends with uh, Liv walking out of the bar and Donnie being like, "It's eight in the morning." Yeah. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> Uh, So this is where Robbie does the monologuing into his recorder. And, uh, and, yeah, it's this moment where, like, the camera, like, moves into him. And I felt, I was like, oh, okay, so the entire episode is going to be playing with the angles, the lighting, the color palette. It's not all going to be, like, this is how Liv's experiencing the world. This is just how the world is going to be for the rest of this episode.
4: Yeah, I don't think we ever thought of it as, like... um you know, only the live scenes would, would have that. I, certainly I don't think we wanted like the film grave scenes to be uh, super noir with rain soaked windows and mm-hmm. shadows and all that stuff. But we also didn't want it to suddenly be like bright blue yeah. and, you know, and just super jarring. So, uh, you know, again, not my department, but I think Tuan and, and Michael did a great job of um, finding the the sweet spot for all that. Um, and with Robbie, I feel like, first of all, the, the morgue is so, uh, is such a great space to show in a different way. Like it's so big and it's, it's got so many, um, you know, so much potential for different ways of presenting it than we typically have. Mm-hmm. That it just would have felt like a wasted opportunity not to, uh, you know, play into that in that scene. Um, but also like Robbie's kind of on board for this. Like he is, you know, he's trying to play along, uh, I guess, even though he's not feeling the effects of the brain, he's, he's certainly cheerleading them and and feeling them in so far as like, he's a fan of apparently of, uh, of that genre as well himself. So it just, it kind of made sense to, um, to carry that atmosphere through.
2: Yeah, I can imagine he's at least played La Noir, the the game. <laughs> so.
4: I'm sure he has. I, I would suspect there's not a video game uh, that's been released in, in his lifetime that he hasn't played. But I don't know any of them. I don't. I stopped playing video games around Tech Mobile um, and just have not kept up enough since. So um, if Max Payne is is the guy that helped us uh, get to that great scene of Ravi, you know, voice recording and noir n- narration. Then bless Max Payne's heart. But I have no idea what that game is.
2: Uh, so, yeah, Martin shows up looking for, uh, you know, offering Ravi his help, but he's actually here to get a little bit more information. And when Ravi spills the, the, the beans about uh the, the Max Rager, I love how the camera just kind of focuses in on Martin's face. And it, it is very noir ish because it's just like there's good shadows there. Um, he's got like an interesting look on his face. Like he's thinking of something
4: else. Uh, yeah. That's good stuff. Agreed.
2: Uh, so Robbie tells Liv how helpful Martin was and Liv says that he might be working an angle. Uh, Peyton's ready for drinks, but Liv's still on the case. Uh, so we go to, uh, back to Diney B goods and uh, Blaine talks to Bubba and Bubba is, You know, he's like, hey, the Frela kids are not so easy to kidnap. Now, I'm almost wondering if, you know, I mean, Bubba does take off a candy at the end here. But Bubba's heart is probably not into kidnapping children, I'm I'm assuming. Like, maybe he's not. I
4: think think he's being there's a little, um, you know, moral tug of war going on inside his mind. But certainly the the part that is paying him money is winning Mm -hmm. because he's still going out and, and kidnapping those kids.
2: Oh, see, I got the impression that he wasn't being very successful because there are no kids being uh, brought back.
4: Yeah, but that wasn't his. Um, it wasn't like he gave up because uh, he, he was second guessing whether this was right or wrong. It was more like he was unprepared for the um, difficulty of actually getting them because they, they knew that they were uh, potentially a target now. And so he wasn't expecting there to be like security or Cautions. right?
3: Um, and I think Blaine says, "Go out and get some more kids."
4: <laughs> he does, yes. Yeah. So
3: he had been successful.
2: Oh, more kids! Yes, yes. Well, we should see the kids, right? But that I would, may, that maybe would be know. money. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, uh, so, so I love, I love the little introduction between Candy and Bubba. Um, yeah. she's she uh, starts acting like a schoolgirl in front of him. Um, yeah, Carrie Ann said that was her last day on the set and it was actually a lot more sadder harder to keep, can, keep, keep it together th- that it really was. People kept on saying, this is your last time. And uh, she was uh, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's get this. done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't get emotional right now.
4: <laughs> yeah. I can imagine that was probably a, a similar headspace for a lot of people, both are, you know, um, recurring guest stars and are, I don't know what was going on uh, in the heads of our main cast when they were filming their last scenes. Oh gosh. Uh, I imagine it would be, um I mean, I think that whole job is ridiculously tough from my perspective. I don't uh-huh. know how anyone does it for a living, but that much tougher when you're also thinking about like, this is, this is actually it. Like we're never going to be on these sets again. Yeah. And we, we came in, um I can't remember exactly when it was, but before our last day of shooting, but after our last day of shooting, given set so once we'd shot out the morgue and shot out the the precinct and all that stuff um those sets were taken down and deconstructed so we came in for certain days of shooting and the entire inside of the stage was empty or like in some sort of phase of deconstruction which was pretty jarring like that made it a little more visceral and real that like oh shit we are really this is really done soon even though we're all still here for another couple days like it's pretty much over wow Oh, so sad. <laughs> yeah,
3: and to you know, and to think back in season one when Raúl would talk about how grateful he was for this job because, like, he didn't have a job for so long—an acting job—and yeah. uh, to and it's over now. And I, I hope that he has you know just moves on and has great success.
4: I'm sure he will. I mean, yeah, very talented, unbelievably talented and uh, they all are. I, it would not surprise me to see all of them go on to, you know, bigger and better. And then, uh, and then they'll, you know, hold a gun to our heads when we want to do a reboot of (laughs) eyes (laughs) on.
2: Uh, okay. So we have Jane, the waitress showing up at the the bar. I love the title card is Janie's got a gun. So that song got stuck in my head. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I notice here that. Oh, so Good. Go ahead.
4: I've uh, seen here.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I love that the character, like I notice here, especially the the character of Blaine, it, like is like it thrives in the noir setting. Now on Jane's brain, I I believe we're trying to make it more of like the femme fatale of the uh, the episode, or more the the home fatale. I think the. the <laughs> uh, um, but even, even just his regular self in with this color template and just, you know, talking to this girl who has a gun trained on him. Um, mm-hmm. I thought this is so, it's so perfectly blamed. <laughs> I don't know.
4: Yeah. I mean, we, we talked about that a bunch in the room too. Um, about like what is different about Blaine on this brain? Cause that's just kind of how he is normally. And I think there, there was certainly some nuance added to the performance by David Anders, but you know, you didn't, I don't think any of us, him included, wanted a wholesale change because he he is an um fatale as as you say. Mm-hmm. Um so it, you know, it would have been disingenuous, I think, to um to have him suddenly vamping. Um and I, I wanted to add too, like I've seen some uh some reviews and, and um comments and stuff, which I try not to read but I can't help it. Oh I never and, read the uh, comments. One one uh one thing that people nitpick about or one one thing that people are bothered by is the um the rules of like why is live so taken over by the brain when it doesn't seem to affect other characters uh, like Blaine specifically as much and I admit we never sort of address that um, in, in any sort of creative way. Uh, I will say like one of the reasons is David Anders as Blaine is more fun than David Anders as any brain we could put him on i I would argue yeah. Um, and I would also say that, uh, you know, there is a, in our little world, in our, in our fake science of I, zombie there's certainly like a physiological thing happening that, you know, that is somewhat out of uh, Liv's control when she's on a brain and perhaps more so as the seasons go on, which is part of the complaint that I, that I've heard. But I think there is to some extent an element of choice, whether it's subconscious or not. And I think that Liv chooses to lean in. Uh, to the brains because it's, it's helpful in her job um, Mm. and gives her a sense of purpose. Whereas Blaine sort of has his sense of purpose and also, by the way, is psychotic. And so (laughs) I would say that if you want to like really track the logic of it all, maybe there is some iZombie pseudoscience that says eating a brain does not affect somebody whose brain is already fucked up uh, the way it would affect somebody whose brain is, is normal. (laughs) Not to use the, you know, not to get too technical with my medical jargon, on <laughs> the <Yeah. laughs> uh, I so like that, yeah. To, to, all the, uh, to all the people making those complaints, um, that is my unofficial answer. For sure. Yeah, um, Liv is so pure. And show, so, so,
1: so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Liv is
3: so good that it just affects her more.
4: Yeah, yeah
2: exactly. And, and like, like you said, Liv leaning into the brain. She's eating a brain to uh, get clues and help this person who was murdered. So she is... N- maybe, you know, trying hard to, you know, like you say lean into the brain, whereas someone like Blaine like if they feel like a certain personality tick pop up is just like kind of swats that away mentally.
4: <laughs> yeah. And I mean we definitely sort of modulated how much um, Liv is affected by the brain in a given episode or a given scene or how much the other characters are affected by brains. Um, we modulated that in large part based on what we thought made the episode the most fun or the best version of the episode. So we don't want live to be, um, you know, fully on whatever, you know, sort of silly brain she might be on. Like we will lean into the comedy when it's appropriate, when it's with live and, or when it's with Clive and, and Robbie, uh, and Peyton and major and her friends. But when something emotional is happening, obviously we want to pull back from that because, um, you know, you just, you want to live in the comedic moments when it's appropriate and you want to live in the emotional moments when that's appropriate. And so, yeah, we're fudging the, the quote rules of the show, but it's also a show where a sentient zombie eats brains and solves crimes. Like we don't, I don't know that we need hard and fast rules to stick by uh, over the course of 70 some episodes.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And like with the mystery of the week, the, the, the murder of the week, like I feel like the show cares more about the characters, how fun the characters are, and the interaction and the quirkiness of the characters than anything else than the rules or the the right. mystery or anything yeah. else.
4: And also, as a as a sort of side note to this, I, I, I can't remember the numbers exactly, but we looked up the murder rates in Seattle, like just on online or whatever, uh, a couple seasons in, mm-hmm. and like there is no way that. Clive would have as one homicide detective would have that many murders to solve over the course of his career, if he worked in Seattle. So like, obviously we're taking liberties. It's a show that is a, you know, a slight step outside of reality to begin with. Um, so it just, sometimes it just sort of surprises me that people get, um, really hyper-focused on the pseudoscience or, or lack thereof when it's such a unscientific, um, you know, imaginary premise to begin with. Sure. End of rant.
2: Yeah. How many blame high schools lost. did, uh, how many high schools did Johnny Depp go to in 21 Jump Street? How many high schools are that area? I, <laughs> way too many yeah. high schools. <laughs> right. <laughs> For what area. Uh, who were you saying, Steph? Sorry.
3: Uh, blame lost. <laughs> I think that's what I said. <laughs> like, yeah, some shows, you know, Beg you to go over them with a fine tooth comb. Some shows don't. It's, yeah. it's not that deep. Yeah.
4: Right. You Just hit
2: the nail it. on the head.
3: Enjoy you... it.
2: Yeah. Uh, all right. So, uh, Crybaby takes out Jane with a baseball bat. Yeah, she had a knife hidden. Uh, and it was, it's great to see Crybaby show up again. Um, even yeah. though he's going to be betrayed later.
4: <laughs> yeah. Um, We've had some great, like, just a great rotation of Blaine's thugs. Yeah. They're all just so weird.
2: I'm so sad this, that Tanner's gone already. And Yeah. You know. uh, we go to film our graves, and there's Major and his laptop again reading the news. So, I think the only complaint I really have for this episode is say, it's noir episode. We should have had Major looking at a newspaper. He's always there with that laptop.
4: <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's, Point taken. All right.
2: So can we go back and reshoot? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, okay, so Joyce reports about bugs in the keycard system. That kind of lays track for later. Uh, so, okay, so Basio's office is another great uh, uh, set for this this uh, this look because of those Venetian blinds, uh, how they, yeah. you know, they cover Rose. And uh, get some sleep. I'll sleep when I'm dead. You're already dead, Clive. You're all already dead, Clive We just don't know it yet, I love it Yeah Um, Okay, so Liv wants to go to Frank's house Just warrant Uh, Yeah, we have to do it by the book Uh, My book, that Almost doesn't cut it, and we're not talking about your All good stuff I I noticed when uh, she opens up uh, uh, The case file That uh, Frank Chisel lives at 741
4: Spill Lane (laughs) Which is yeah.
2: that was the one noir reference that I caught.
4: <laughs> I was like, "Oh, oh, Blaine." It was a little on the nose, but I
2: enjoyed it. Yeah, and uh, so so at Frank's office, um, Blaine finds an invoice to J uh, J Martel at sixteen twenty one Dubois Avenue. I could I know du- Dubois is a reference to something, but it, it's I I do do you know if that is or if that's
4: or if I, was... I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sorry. I, yeah. I'm sure it is too. I mean, it it feels so you know sweaty and and 40s noir. But um, all I can think of is uh, Streetcar Named Desire. Yeah, um, but I don't know why. Yeah, and
2: yeah, much like Blaine gave the great lamp reveal to Ravi and Peyton a couple episodes ago, Liv does it right back to Lane. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, tensions are really escalating between these two over this episode. I thought that was really great.
0: Yeah. Uh,
4: Well, I'll talk more about that when we get to the fight, if you remind me.
2: Uh, Yeah, trying to move us along because I know we got a lot of feedback. Um, All right, so Major in the locker room, we have the janitor uh, who, yeah, he, uh, he gets a little bit extreme in his dedication to his job by running his head into a shower hook. That's...
4: Well, is it, is it his dedication to his uh, job as janitor, or is it his dedication to something else?
2: <laughs> I definitely know that it's not his dedication to his job as a janitor. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I mean, you know, Enzo got him hired, so therefore, it's it's he's somebody that works for Martin. So Martin's influence is so so much that somebody would actually kill themselves rather than have Major find out what they're doing.
4: Well, I'm I'm glad to hear you say that. That that was uh, what we were hoping to land was the, the whole point of that scene was to escalate the um, the threat of those guys that his followers, his sort of cult, if you will, are uh, are Jonestown level dedicated.
2: Mm-hmm. And Crawford almost seems like a, a noir character. Like I was thinking, oh, that that first scene with Major, not very noir noir. She's reading newspaper on mm-hmm. his laptop, but here he's it's Major questioning like this nervous character, you know. Um mm-hmm. and I thought that was kind of a, a good a noirish uh angle there. Yeah. Uh next chapter, white and shadow. I don't get white and shadow.
4: <laughs> what is that? What was the uh scene we opened on?
2: Uh it's Clive finds Liv in Basio's office, uh looking over case files. He's really upset. Oh
4: it's white. It's not the color white, it's W I G H T. Yeah. Um well, Light and Shadow is like in – if you you know take film class in university or whatever, that's what you talk about all the time. And noir specifically, it's all about – the cinematography of it is all about light and shadow. Right. Um, so maybe a bit of an obscure reference, but – and then a white being a, a zombie. That was the gag.
2: Oh. I never heard of zombies being referred to as well. – I mean, maybe on Game of Thrones –
4: Yeah, well, that's (laughs) probably the only place I've heard it, too, so it may not not actually uh, make sense in the greater zombie genre. Oh, no, you know,
2: obviously, obviously, you know, other things are referred to that are pop culture references in the chapters. I just didn't uh, catch it. I should have, because I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan.
4: Well, I mean, sometimes those chapter titles are a reach, uh, admittedly, so, (laughs) you know.
2: Uh, so yeah, uh, Clive is pissed, and Liv realizes that Blaine was fiddling with his hands, and so we have Blaine brought into the interrogation room, and yeah, this is where he really, we really show that he is the he's the he's the fatal by doing the classic <laughs> uh, Sharon Stone line: "Are you going to arrest me for for smoking?" Yeah,
4: <laughs> which is great. Uh, like I said, sometimes I just cut and paste. Yeah. From... <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um but that, did, that made me so happy we actually had to fight for that a little bit because um you know justifiably so the the cw and i think most broadcast shows they don't uh, they veer away from anybody smoking these days there are some exceptions but mm-hmm. um for the most part like we don't we've never had character smoking we had dolly about to uh earlier this season but it was a fine line between like we couldn't see her actually have the cigarette lit or inhale Um, and same sort of thing here, but we, we did have to talk to, um, broadcast standards and practices, about allowing that, uh, even that cigarette pack to be on screen. Wow. But I just, I I love the joke so much that I, Mm -hmm. I had to make a play for it.
2: Huge plumes of smoke in the interrogation room would have looked really cool in that lighting though.
4: It would have. Um, and you know, everybody in noir smokes, but it's just like the, the, uh, the Stranger Things. Uh, yeah, sort of that's what I was thinking. Yeah. And it's uh, like, I get it. I mean, there's a shit ton of probably eight and 10, 12 year olds that watch Stranger Things and or iZombie. And, um, you know, if you, you're idolizing Hopper and you see him chain smoking for, uh, you know, eight episodes in a row that you binge, mm-hmm. um, it's not, not a great influence. So I understand the the reaction to
3: it. Yeah. And it's the same thing with the people complaining about how Stranger Things, this thing this uh, this season treated the female characters well. That's the way it was in the eighties.
1: <laughs> you yeah.
3: know, the guy told you you were going out on a date with him,
4: right? <laughs> I, I actually hadn't heard that controversy. Is that what people are saying? Um, yeah, interesting.
2: I haven't seen the season yet, but it, it bothers me that you know maybe kids are looking up to Hopper, a character that wakes up on his couch with piles of beer cans around him when we first meet him in season
4: one. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> But it's always the, I mean, it's always the, you know, the dirtbags and the, the kind of bad boys, if you want to call it that, who are the coolest characters that everyone loves.
2: That's yeah, true. We do have mm-hmm. a Blaine apologist uh, emailing in today, so we'll be talking to him.
4: Perfect.
2: <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, Liv actually uh, draws first blood in this uh, escalating conflict by cracking him with a blackjack.
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know what's funny is uh, Rob Thomas has a blackjack that he had. Work, oh, really? Uh, or a SAP? I don't know if there's a difference, but he was he brought it in one day, and I can't remember if it, like someone got it to him as a gag gift or whatever. And I'm certainly not suggesting he threatened to use it on anyone. It's just like a funny thing that he would uh, he would use as a prop sometimes. Um, so it's I mean it's not really an Easter egg, but it's for the writers it's kind of funny. But uh, we had Liv use one uh-huh. when no. Clearly, nobody has used a blackjack in decades.
2: Liv is reaching across the table uh, with the blackjack and cracking somebody across the face, much like you know something that happened in the writers' room that nobody wants to talk about. That's basically what I'm talking about.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Much like the lawsuit that you'll hear about in the next.
2: (laughs) Yes. Uh, All right. So, Major finds out. It was Enzo hired uh, uh, Crawford, and the Max Rager is missing. So, we find out about that. And, uh, we go to, um, Martin injecting a Romero and, uh, for, and it, and it straightens up. And I, my first thought was like, did he actually cure Romero? Because this was a, uh, like from gosh, episode three, the exterminator where Marcy is a Romero. Uh, and you know, Ravi was like, we can save her. We can save her. And then she attacks and they have to kill her. And uh, it's funny. We almost got a, you know, just between the iZombie fans, we got a hashtag justice for Marcy going on for a couple episodes <laughs> after that because they are like, well, gosh, we can't just kill all of them if they can be saved. It's a disease, you know, but uh, ever since then, it's a Romero. It's irreversible. It's not going to happen. So right. I was at first going, oh, my gosh, he cured Romero. But really, it's to uh, direct them. Right. Uh, and Enzo drops an incroyable, here. <laughs> uh, which, uh, is French for un- unbelievable stuff. I don't know if you knew that. Okay. Right. Right. <laughs> no. Nope. Unbelievable.
4: Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. More, more direct translation, I believe. Oh,
2: okay. Um, so Martin talks to Enzo, Riley and, uh, Voss, uh, slash Tater, whatever he's being called. <laughs> And a bunch of shadowy people in the back because we just assume that there are, you know, other uh, members of, of the crew that we don't want to see right now. Um, right.
3: Because they would cost
2: money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Now, because of Max Rager, the plan is finally ready. Uh, and Riley says the team is in place. The coyote, coyote roots are good to go. So I'm assuming that the plan is to send these Romeros into the U.S., which you could right now as a pack of wild dogs, but now they have to take direction. So like, where would they be sent to? It, it just seems like a mm-hmm. cell full of Romero's unless they started like instantly just biting people and, and spreading that virus real quickly. Um, you know, what's, what's the plan here? It, it intrigues me. So Bob, you want to tell Hello? us what the plan is?
4: <laughs> you know what? I honestly don't remember. what the <laughs> plan is. Um, but i'm glad that it intrigues you and and i'm sure that uh we'll do some explaining of it as best yeah. we can in the following three episodes.
2: Okay. Uh and uh okay, so the high zombie thing kind of pays off with uh the grandson showing the chairwoman hey the ho- yep. here's high zombie and uh i like this whole thing where he's like oh you know they put hot sauce in the birthday cake oh sounds like your grandfather. So it shows <laughs> that there she's a uh, Relating to zombies And right. uh, Yeah It's kind of opening her eyes Uh Then we have uh, We're back at Donnie B. Goods Candy sets up the karaoke binders Uh It took me a minute to figure out Karaoke to my heart Is a, a <laughs> Is a karaoke to my heart What is that? <laughs> but Uh Yeah Blaine picks on Candy Shouldn't she be in In the back On your back And I think that's pretty much The last straw for Candy I kind of wonder when she finds out about that ticket. Um,
4: I don't know if I can answer that specifically for you at yeah. this stage. I know, I know, we had it figured out in the in the moment, but I do think that every sort of clue that Liv and Blaine are following, she needs as well. Like, so I, I do think it's more like she's putting the pieces together along with them. Sometimes mm-hmm. just because she's there when when they verbalize, you know a new realization or whatever. Um, so she's kind of getting the information at the same time they are and, uh, and still needs like the final piece of the puzzle, which she only gets right before they do.
2: Right. Cause I know she's there when they're looking like Blaine and Donnie are looking all over the place for it. Maybe she right. gets the idea about the, the ticket at that time. I'm not sure. Um, not that important really, <laughs> but I just gotta I like to, piece everything together. Um, all right. So, yeah, Blaine tells Donnie that Jacob Martel, whose name was on the invoice, bought a black market here. Frank was trying to get it to Bunny. Jane intercepted. Could Jane have hit it at the bar? Um, and, uh, yeah, Alyssa Martel is Bunny's real name. Jacob's her dad. Um, and Liv has a vision that Frank slipped it into his trench coat. And so, yeah, all through this, Peyton has been – Ali machaka has been really funny as uh, a drinking Peyton, um, as she was during her slump with uh, uh, Ravi for that episode.
4: Right. (laughs) Drunk Peyton's always a fun Peyton. (laughs) And it's, you know, I think with some of our characters, like obviously Liv, Clive, and Ravi get a lot of the the comedy, um, just because every episode you're going to get the, you know, what brain is she on and how annoying is it to them? Yeah. Um, you know, Peyton and Major, I think, sometimes get a little short-changed um, because they're both, uh, or at least up until recently, they're both in, um, you know, pretty heavy jobs. And so, yeah. obviously, we try to, you know, put whatever comedy makes sense in their scenes as well because we don't want everything to go super sort of dour every time they're, you know, they're in a scene. But the nature of uh, what's happening in their scenes usually is kind of dour so it's tough and it's always fun when we get to give them like when we when major was on a brain a couple seasons ago um obviously that was a highlight for for us and for a lot of people um and then in this case just uh, you know letting Allie, you know do the the sort of patent drunk thing (laughs) was a joy to watch for me anyway (laughs) yeah uh, i I think probably for her it was a nice break to get out of the city administration storyline and and just kind of let loose
2: while we're talking about Ali Machaka, kind of skipping ahead to when she performs on stage, I love that like a, a talented pop singer like Ali Machaka is confident enough to like, okay, I'm going to sing and I'm going to be on network television, but the, you know the character is right. drunk and I'm going to sing and be funny and be drunk and wobbly and and, and sing badly. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's, <laughs> yeah. uh, it, you know, it's probably better than me, but
4: <laughs> it, I, love that I, I she's, you know. What? I hadn't seen the episode, um, you know, since we shot it. So I hadn't seen it cut together yet. Um, but I did see those scenes filmed and I was surprised when I watched the episode that it did kind of look like, um, you know, not the greatest performance because when she did it live all the way through, um, it was very, you know, in character as like her being shit faced. <laughs> also sounded pretty great. (laughs) And I I think that in editing, they may have um, leaned more into like how drunk she was just to maybe sell the, you know, you want to believe that she's pretty far gone if she's going to haul off and punch that biker in the face. And so maybe she sounded too good in some of the takes or whatever. Um, And certainly like the performance I saw live also uh, demonstrated quite clearly that she was, uh, you know, pretty shit faced, but I did. I saw some people tweeting a similar sentiment to what you just mentioned. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, really? Like I, when I was there, I was like, fuck, she's great. Yeah. So yeah. Also, I'm not um, a music critic. Um, and, and <laughs> you know, of course she sounds, um, a, a few layers better when she's singing her own material and, right. and, uh, and not trying to play drunk at the same time. But even in that context, when we were watching it on set, like people were, were pretty into it. It was, it was pretty cool. That's awesome. It like a mini concert in the middle of the, of a shooting day.
2: That Ellie on stage at the microphone was one of the promotional pictures they uh, released weeks ago. And I was very excited to see like the, hoping that she wasn't just introducing somebody or whatever, playing MC. Right. She was actually performing.
4: Um, yeah. And I, I will tell you just one quick uh, inside the writer's room story is that, um, song choice was, uh, the culmination of my series long losing streak of pitching songs and being overruled. Oh, really? And I, I must've pitched a dozen songs, uh, for that one. And I, I was picturing it as something like, um, ballroom blitz when Tia Carrera sings ah. it and, and, Wayne meets her for the first time in Wayne's world. Yes. Um, like I wanted it to be kind of like a, a feminine take on a sort of a metal song um, or a power ballad, um, is a better way to describe it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and once again, <laughs> lost the battle. <laughs> I, th- I think it was oh, like over, oh for, oh for nine oh for 10 over the course of the whole series. And like, and every time I pitched a song, you know, in the beginning, I would just be like, what about this song? And they'd say no. And I'd be like, okay. Um, by the end I, I was having like multiple days long arguments and email chains back and forth. With <laughs> like risk risking um their tolerance of me (laughs) Uh, but yeah still still never got a victory
2: even even in goonstruck like that april wine song roller that wasn't
4: no i the one thing that sort of counts as a victory maybe but i think rob and i were just thinking independently thinking the same thing Mm -hmm. was i i wanted all the songs to be by canadian bands or artists and um and i guess he did too but all the songs I had in the script um, got tossed and, and replaced with other Canadian songs. There was a, a Sum Forty One song that, no offense to Sum Forty One, but it broke my heart because I just don't like them at all. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs>
4: replaced a Gordon Lightfoot song, which uh, I was like, Rob was a kind of a Gordon Lightfoot fan, so I was like, "That's gonna make it for sure." But yeah. you know. uh, anyway, what? So, what did you? You wanted just ballroom blitz? Or something like that no I can't remember the list of songs but that was like the inspiration we didn't want to do that because it had been in that movie but yeah. I, yeah, it, it was songs like in that sort of um, era and, and style
2: yeah you have to think of song what's a song that says everything sucks but I'm over it but I'm still kind of pissed which is a great, a great <laughs> yeah <line. laughs> exactly. I, I, I am a, I'm a huge karaoke fan and yeah that's sometimes you go in there with a little attitude you're like all right what's, what am I feeling right now? You know, and uh, right. I look up to a corresponding song. Uh, uh, are, are you a karaoke fan yourself?
4: <laughs> uh, I don't mind going um, <laughs> like in LA, it's all private rooms and maybe that's right. In other places besides LA now too. But like what I was used to was a big open bar where, you know, not everyone knows each other. And so you're up in front of a bunch of strangers. Yeah. that's what um, I do. And so I had to be blackout drunk to be convinced <laughs> to get on stage because I, the life of me cannot come close to carrying a tune. So it's always awful. Um, and so I, I love going to watch other people, but I absolutely hate the inevitable pressure of everybody you're with saying, "Oh, you, I'm sure you're great. Just you know, as bad as you think. And then I'll go and they'll be like, yeah, you are as bad as you think.
2: <laughs> sure. uh, yeah. I mean, I, it's pretty easy for me. I mean, it's easier for me to go up and sing a, like a queen song rather than like go up on the microphone and be like, I have a podcast. You know. <laughs> uh, all right. So earlier in the scene, I noticed that uh, Candy is suspiciously rocking out to a dude singing uh, "Vacation," and I'm thinking maybe <laughs> she's looking forward to the end of her shift. You know, right? So I'm assuming. Yeah, all-
4: I, that was not scripted. That was all her. I I don't know if she was putting the two and two together that she was about to go on a vacation, uh-huh. but. Um, certainly wasn't our intent or anything that, that we thought of, but uh, if that's how it if that's how it played, um, I'm very happy again for the extra layers. She looks she looks so happy,
2: the happiest. Yeah, there. and I also love that. Uh, okay, so uh, this this part that was shot, I think it must have been like handheld because we're we're on Candy dancing and Donnie looking around the bar and then suddenly Blaine pops up in the foreground and you know, he's looking and then it swings over and instantly we're zoomed in on live and Peyton entering. That must've been, right. I don't even know if that was an edit or if that was a, just a quick swing over with the the camera.
4: I think it was an edit, but I can't remember um, what we did on the day. I, I think it must've been an edit though, because I just the choreography of it all would have been, um, would have stalled us out.
2: Yeah. It's very energetic. Uh, and, uh, yeah, when Peyton takes the stage, I also love that in the background, we see that Donnie and Candy are just as excited as, as we are to, to see this happen. So,
4: <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly don't think even a hint of that was in the script. I could be, I could be wrong, but, um, I do remember everyone in, uh, you know, in video village, which is where director and other people watch on the monitors, yeah. um, like every single take, we were just cracking up at the two of them. <laughs>
2: Uh, so yeah, uh, we get into, I mean, I mean, w- just finishing off Peyton stuff. She, she ends up, uh, slugging a biker in the mouth, which is great. And, uh, yeah. he gets really upset. <laughs> Seriously? at yeah. Karaoke
3: night? Uh, yeah. <laughs> when he's you trying know, like, to rebrand the, the oh, <laughs>
4: He only likes bar when he starts them to pick up, uh, Oh Yeah. Cars.
3: Yeah. Oh, but when Peyton comes in and asks for oh, like Yes a what, tequila, tequila or something? And the waitress <laughs> asks, Do you want salt? Uh, what what am I? Sixteen? <laughs>
4: <laughs> and I think <laughs> I enjoyed that too. I what can tell crazy. you another brief story. Uh yeah. I was in uh I was in a bar in um I was traveling in Central America and I was in a bar somewhere down there. And I think I was watching the Super Bowl and uh some uh, American traveler was also there. We were at the bar at the same time, and he was ordering tequila shots for anybody that was within eyesight, and he gave me one. And um, I think we were cheering for different teams, so he, there was some antagonism. But he was like, "You need training wheels." Training wheels? <laughs> 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 hey, what does that mean? And realized he meant salt and lime, which I would have normally happily accepted, but because he asked it in this belligerent way, I was like, "No." <laughs> And that's that's the line I was trying to reconfigure For, for Peyton
2: uh, I mean, because I don't know, to me, tequila tastes kind of awful On its own, but so Yeah, you have to I'm have not something. a fan yeah. Uh, So, yeah This is when we have this confrontation Between uh, Liv and Blaine And uh, Yeah, he clocks her With a, it looks like a cast iron Pan, but I, I can't imagine It was cast iron I mean, I'm sure in real life it's not cast iron But it, I don't think in the story was cast iron Because that would have really knocked her
4: Yeah, I, I can't remember what they what they were trying to use um, You're right, it was a rubber pan or whatever Made yeah. to look like the thing But yes, I, 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 what you're saying makes sense I don't remember since.
3: But also she's a zombie and she's tougher than a human
4: Right Yeah uh, Also a good point
2: i am always a fan of when live loses her shit i love full-on zombie mode um so every time it pops up i'm so excited and especially when it means that uh it's going to be a fight between her and blaine which rarely yeah. happens uh but so it it makes it even more special when it does uh, did you yeah what did you were you there watching that scene being filmed
1: or
4: uh i was yeah i mean obviously there's um You know, a whole period before that shot where the stunt coordinator, uh, Ernest Jackson, who does great work for us and and has since the beginning um, and his stunt team are kind of like choreographing it and, and, you know, figuring it all out and shooting test footage and all that. And then, you know, Rose and Anders are rehearsing it in their off time and stuff. But um, so you see a bit of that, um, you know uh, leading up to the day of the shoot and you have your input or whatever. And the director has his input. Um, but yeah, I got to see it on the day and it was so much more than I, than I ever could have hoped. Mm-hmm. Um, because that was a, a thing that was very much like top of the list of shit. We have to have happen both because it's been too long. And because like, we want to have a, you know, a full on mono a mono fight between the two of them for the series ends. Um, and I just, I was really fighting for it to happen in this episode because again um, you know, we were limiting ourselves in certain ways financially and to me to be able to hit this kind of benchmark or whatever. um, And and it, it felt like a a perfect sort of dovetailing of fan service because I think a lot of people want to see them go at it or certainly me as a fan, I wanted to see that. Um, And just like something that made sense within the context of the individual story and their history at the same time. So it wasn't like fan service for the sake of fan service, but you know, it had that sort of dual advantage and I really wanted it to be in this episode um, because I knew that we weren't going to have a lot of opportunities other than the aesthetics, um, you know, do something kind of cool and different. And since it was my, my last episode um, knowing I wasn't going to have any kind of set pieces uh, because we weren't going to be out in the world. um, I, I was, You know, hoping very much that we could at least do that one on one fight and afford it and and make it happen in one of our sets. And so we we worked uh, pretty hard in the writer's room to, to, you know, make that fit organically into the story we were telling.
2: It was, it was exciting and it was violent. I, I loved it. I love the fact that, you know, not only Lib is punching Blaine in the face, Blaine's punching her in the face. In there and they <laughs> yeah. uh, really, really going at it, just throwing each other around.
4: Um, well, we looked at a lot of the old, you know, the, the fist fights that they have in uh, noir films. And obviously a lot of them are from before an era when you had um, the level of stunt coordination and stunt performances that you have now. Um, and so a fight scene always looks a little, I don't know, basic back then compared to what you see these days. Um, But the one the one element that we really liked and wanted to keep was that it was just a knockdown drag out thing. Like there wasn't a lot of technique. It was just like we're going to hit each other until we decide, you know, which one of us can either take more punches or or dole out enough punishment to end it. Um, but it's not going to be like a, a battle of sort of martial arts skills. It's yeah. just going to be, I hit you, you hit me, we crash into shit. Um, and you know, somehow or another, someone's going to come out on top.
2: Yeah. It's such a small space. And, uh, we did, uh, uh, post, I mean, everybody who has Instagram should follow five years behind the brain. Um, yeah. And they did release, he did release, uh, uh, some, um,
4: footage, of.
2: You know that that fight scene being planned out, so it's really yeah. really cool to watch.
4: Yeah, I saw that and and uh, agree that everyone should follow that. Uh, that that's a, that's a great um, uh, video, just specifically, but it's a great um, account to follow as well if you're <laughs> at all interested in the show. The library of photos he has is I've
2: incredible. never seen behind the scenes stuff like that. It, I am
4: so yeah. happy
2: that, that it's for the show.
4: Um, yeah well that's chris deans who was um uh, one of the stand-ins for pretty much the entire series so um he had a you know a front row seat to everything and uh chose to to document it which is um you know to to keep all that under your hat for five years and then to release it into the world this last season (laughs) has been a pretty special treat
2: yeah um yeah i love the uh Blaine going face first into the table. That looks like that hurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then Blaine, like the wuss he is he pulls a gun on her. But yeah, I, and then she kicks out of his hand and pins up, gets a wall, and uh, yeah, I love. We just kind of get to the the history between these two. You know, like how many lives would I saved if I killed you right here? Yeah, and and even earlier, like uh, why so hateful? More like how does he even ask her that question?
4: <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of—I feel like that's his attitude. Like every time they call him in, he he does have this undercurrent of like, can't we can't we just be friends?
1: <laughs> um,
4: as if you know, killing all the street kids and everything else he's done is uh, forgivable, forgivable offenses. Mm-hmm.
2: lol Anyway, uh... <laughs> lol Yeah. Lol. Uh, and, uh, yeah, um, uh, we have, uh, we have Liv getting the gun and Carl coming out and pretty crazy. And then, and then Clive kind of saves the day, um, a bit, but, uh, it really kind of seals the whole, uh, you know, home fatal thing. When we see blood on, uh, the bat and, uh, Liv says to Blaine, you're going down Blondie once and for all. <laughs> right. Which, of course, he then blames it on poor Carl.
4: Yeah, he's always got an escape hatch, that, that Blaine De Beers. Uh,
2: but, uh, yeah, Carl's going to jail, but uh, Peyton's cut loose. So, <laughs> <laughs> not
4: <laughs> very fair. No, <laughs> yeah, it was a somewhat truncated moment. We Originally, we had a whole scene with her, like, she doesn't get taken downstairs. And um, Clive sees her in that sort of um, holding area outside reception in, in the precinct. <laughs> And they have a whole heart-to-heart in the office, which was a scene uh, that I loved yeah. And, uh, and would have been great. It was just, you know, there's there's only so many minutes in a CW hour.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so uh, we go back to Washington and it's 50-50 tie and the chairwoman is swayed uh, because she watched High Zombie and that, that whole plan worked out. Um, General Mills is mad. I'm, I'm trying to get a bead on the other joint chief of staff that we saw, uh, that Voss slash Tater had scratched. He seems mad too, but he seems to be working for, I think he's working for Martin. So I'm like, what is the angle here?
4: Does, does Martin want Seattle nuked or... I honestly, I honestly don't remember yeah. <laughs> um, what that particular general's reaction was, but uh, maybe he is just. I don't think Martin wants Seattle nuke, so okay. maybe that general was just doing a, a bit of an acting job yeah. to make sure that nobody knew that he was working for the other team. Now
2: we go to Private Eye for details, and uh, Ravi is upset he missed the bar fight. Not to participate, just to watch it, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so they kind of put it together about the trench coats and, uh, um, and uh, yeah. Oh, oh, I love the uh, Ravi putting his hand in for like the, kind of like the attaboy. He kind of picked up on the whole yeah. thing and just totally gets totally ignored, which is totally in line with the character that he established for himself in the uh, beginning of the episode. <laughs>
4: right. And, and another one of the many moments that Raul and, and the rest of the cast too. just, you know, insert that like the hand in wasn't scripted, but oh, okay. is absolutely perfect for, you know, what we were trying to convey in the script for that moment. Um, and they all do such a good job of finding little spots. Cause we, like, we don't do a lot of improv or anything like that. And that's, um, you know, that's just how Rob likes to run his shows. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also like, we just, we have such a tight schedule. There's not a ton of time to kind of fuck around and, yeah. and play with scenes. You kind of just have to go with what's there. Um, so, where they do where the actors do have a chance. I, I think they do such a great job of, um, you know, adding little spices and flavors like that.
2: Uh, so the next scene, Candy's is on, on her way out and she stops when she sees Donnie moping and gives her a little bit of advice, gives him a little bit of advice that, you know, if she's mad, it's, you know, it's probably something <laughs> you should definitely apologize for. In, and then you'll just kind of figure out the rest later. And uh, yeah, Donnie- it's a safe Can- guess with Donnie. Yeah. Yeah. Donnie says, that makes sense. And then she says, my work here is done. And then she walks up to the upper landing, turns and says, good luck, Donnie. And and then leaves. And I was so, at this point, I was so confused. <laughs> I was like, that seemed like a, that was a goodbye. Why was she doing that? <laughs> right. <laughs> Which, you know, it's good. And, and of course, yeah. you know, per- personally, I had the knowledge that, you know, Carrie Ann was going to uh, do an interview with us and said, Oh, I'll wait for this episode. And I was like, Oh my God, she's going to get killed off. So there was that extra <laughs> pressure watching this episode thinking Candy's going to die somehow. But That's funny. Even better. Uh, we go to a, a gloved hand handing the ticket over and taps her left index finger as she waits, which I thought was a great attention to remembering that she's missing. Uh, her middle and ring finger on that hand, right? Yeah. Um, and this is you. You said there was a, a different song choice on on that uh, Icona Pop song. I notice here in this scene, um, the song that's playing is called "I'm Free" by Ma- by Mama Hayes, but the subtitles say uh, Nina Simone's feeling good playing. <laughs> so I'm wondering hmm. if originally they were thinking about using that song, and then.
4: No, that wasn't a scene that, well, at least for me, that wasn't a scene that we discussed or that I'd try to insert a cue into the script. Mm-hmm. But it's very possible that, um, you know, the on the post-production side with the music supervisor and, and Rob and John and Tuan, they had, uh, you know, made a last minute change, uh, hence the different subtitles. That's usually how that happens, yeah. I think, but uh, I was not privy to any of that.
2: I think it works really well though because I don't know, feeling good you've heard in many different things. We've never heard this on Free Song and it works perfectly for candy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh Carrie Ann actually mentioned that uh on the day they she asked where are we heading? and he says uh Topeka, Kansas. And That's right. And now they says he says Corvallis, Oregon. Did you want
4: Yeah, well I, I uh don't necessarily wanna I don't think it's a big spoiler, but um there was some confusion on set, I think, because of the way we had made assumptions, uh, on the scripting side of it, that, um, certain things were understood that, that then seemed different once we were shooting them to people that weren't, that weren't privy to the, you know, the process beforehand. But Bubba is not going with her. Bubba's going to get more kids and she's hitching a ride. Oh. So when he comes back next episode, uh, in service of the kidnapping kids storyline, um, we had originally arbitrarily said Topeka, Kansas, just cause it was like somewhere far from Seattle. Yeah. Um, and also somewhere that sounded kind of boring so that, you know, her line of like sounds perfect is just that anywhere but Seattle is perfect. Right. Like, no offense to anyone from Topeka. I've never been there. I'm just <laughs> saying it's not like a, it's not like Miami, yeah, you know, yeah. where it, you know, it's just sort of a middle American city. Um, but, uh, when he comes back, we realized timeline wise, there's no way he would, get back from kansas it had to be closer oh. um and i think uh, i'm not 100 percent sure but i know i know for a fact john enbaum uh who again took over as showrunner after rob switched to veronica mars um is from oregon so i asked him uh what's the city in oregon that you want us, want us to switch this to uh and he came up with that i think because it's where he grew up but i'm not 100 percent sure
2: oh interesting yeah uh, and I love this shot where Candy is looking in the rear view at Space Needle. The, yeah. And look, kind of like smiling at us, too, you know, yeah. <laughs> the people watching. So, yeah. Uh, I'm so happy for Candy. Uh, Same. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, we have uh, the apology from Donnie to Darcy. Darton. I sang Donnie to Darcy as <laughs> Darcy <laughs> At least she doesn't have to change her uh, her, her last vowel I don't know right. uh, And he uh, proposes to her and find, We find out that Darcy's last name is Bennett which I'm assuming <clears throat> this is a uh, Pride and Prejudice thing
4: Oh maybe I, she was named in Whatever episode she was introduced in So I don't uh, know okay. What's the Pride and Prejudice
2: reference? Uh, Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth Bennett
4: Oh, uh, all right. Uh, <laughs> I, I've I'm never gone. seen it, but I just kind of looked it up <laughs> online. Uh, yeah, maybe that was, that wasn't my choice, but maybe that was why it makes sense. <laughs> and that, um, yeah, I mean, maybe
2: it's because your your affection for the the character of Candy. But I love that Ravi gives a full like. You mean the trivia genie slash cosmetologist slash madam? <laughs> yeah, it
4: felt like it had to be um, made explicit at least once that yeah. like <laughs> we had we had. Basically, she did the Trivia Genie episode, which is one of our first episodes. I think maybe season one, episode four. Three. and Or three, right. And, and, you know, that's a one-off character that um, was just kind of servicing that case of the week. But we, and by we, I mean the people who actually make decisions, um, just love that character so much that they wanted to bring her back. And so when we had this character of a kind of a Blaine's, one of Blaine's right-hand people... Um, and wanted her to be a a cosmetologist to, uh, you know, deal with his makeup as he's trying to pass as human. Um, They were just like, why don't we just use her? Like, clearly trivia genie is not a full-time job. She's got to do something else. Um, And then she became, you know, so many different things that don't make any sense together, but it's just like we could have cast somebody else for all these roles we were inventing or, you know, to give certain lines or, or play certain parts in a given episode. Um, but why not just give it all to the actress that we already love and never acknowledge how weird it is that uh, she has such disparate uh, career choices.
2: And it all connects, you know, I mean, I know I remember, uh, you know, when her and Blaine sleep together for the first time, he has her wear the trivia genie outfit and we see it just right. on the floor. Yes, and, we did. Yeah. We did connect it there. Yeah. Right. So, um, all right. So, I love the transition here. Um Oh, I was going to ask you. Okay. So, so Peyton is hungover. Major tells Liv and Ravi about the whole shower hook incident, and then Ravi pulls Liv aside into another room and ta- at, and talks to her about the whole, you know, I mentioned Max Rager to your dad. I mm-hmm. I'm I'm wondering Shouldn't the, shouldn't the gang be working all together on this? Like wh- why does Liv and Ravi need to maybe it's because of the personal
4: dad thing, but gosh. Yeah, I mean that. that was there was a lot of back and forth about that. Um and I, I think that was ultimately what won the day uh as far as you know whether they should include Peyton and Major right away. And I think it was it wasn't so much like let's start having secrets again, because there's still the No Secrets Club to mm-hmm. some extent. Yeah. Um it was more just like it's a very personal matter, and Ravi, at least in my mind, um, did not feel comfortable making that choice for Liv. If Liv wants to share it with Peyton and Major, then that's her call. But in relaying the information to her, uh, he didn't want to relay it to them at the same time and take that choice away from, from Liv. Right. So that was that was kind of the idea, and then in the immediate aftermath, it was just sort of the, emer- the urgency, excuse me, of getting there and I, I'm forgetting there was something else that I'm forgetting that may have just been like, um, boring, tedious logistics of why we wanted to keep major and Peyton out of that final scene. Yeah. But that was, kind of the, that was kind of the creative justification for it was, it wasn't Robbie's secret to share with anyone, but live.
2: Right. Because Peyton, Peyton knows that Martin is her dad and is the creator. Right. Of major doesn't know any of this stuff. Right. So, it's gonna be interesting when he finds out, and uh, we get the gang all together. Yeah. yeah. Um, I love the transition here. Liv remembers the bolted door, and uh, I love how the this music gets darker and scarier. We kind of fade into Martin's house, and it's all shadows and flashlights. Right. And it kind of reminds me of like a Twin Peaksy, X Filesy kind of thing. Um, yeah. And uh, is Martin actually going to NA meetings? You think? Do you think he really kicked the stuff? <laughs>
4: <laughs> I feel like um, the following episodes will make that clear, so oh, okay. I'll abstain from answering. Yeah, okay.
2: Uh, Liv uses a lockpick, but it's uh, it's pretty. Uh, you have to remember. Oh, she's actually on Private Detective brains, so she would know how to use a lock lockpick. So that's right. Uh, they, they find the dated utopium samples and go hide behind a curtain and find Romero's and. Uh, yeah. Pretty pretty big stuff happening here, and uh, and then on top of it all, General Mills is now on the phone with Dolly, talking about their common agendas. So that uh, son of a bitch. uh, So it it should be uh, should be some good stuff coming in these last three episodes. I'm I'm really excited. Um, uh, Well, I hope hope we live up to that. Oh yeah, yeah. Me too. No. Uh, yeah, gosh uh, We've kept you on the phone so long are you, are you okay for a little longer doing feedback? Yeah, for sure Okay um, Here are some thoughts from the users of TV Time Where you can find our podcast streaming under the iZombie section uh, User Azra Ray says Love this episode Film noir themed The lighting, the shadows, classic scenes Especially the stairs at a distance with dramatic music background And that food montage um, Sam says Rose McIver is such a good actress, I'll never get over it Uh, What's Next says It was awesome to see Live in full-on zombie mode Last night And uh, finally I I thought this was a good one Annie says Ah Corvallis is my hometown (laughs) Even though it's a college town It's not on the map For most people Made me so happy To hear it mentioned In one of my favorite shows So that's cool (laughs) Um, So we definitely have Some other feedback here Um, I'm going to get this Voicemail set up Steph do you want to Read anything?
3: Mm -hmm. I can read Tim's. Okay. This should be. This should be interesting.
2: Oh, the, 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 our resident Blaine apologist. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm losing my voice.
3: <clears throat> okay, so Tim writes, "Hey, Robin and Steph, what well, dang? Where to start with this episode? This is where Robin does his best Derek Russell impression and yells snippets."
2: Oh, this is a reference to another podcast, so I'll just say snippets. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs>
3: They seem to be trying to hammer at home in this final season that while they decided not to do a well-thought-out redemption angle like Spike from Buffy, they're also not going to do a rush last-minute redemption like fellow brain-harvester Siler from Heroes. Hmm. Oh, well, tis what it is. He may have had moments where he was not horrible. Even when he tried to be good, he still couldn't have helped but lie. It's the story the writers want to tell. If that burns out, bums out. if that bums out fellow Blaine fans, well, there's always fan fiction. LOL. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yep. Write your own story.
3: <laughs> <laughs> there are crimes he still needs to answer for, and all signs point to him doing so. To put it in comic book terms, it's not a winter soldier situation where he didn't have the ability to make his own choices. It's a Loki situation. Loki may have had had his sympathetic moments and he was charismatic and fun, like Blaine, but also like Blaine <clears throat> he made his own choices. He still killed a lot of people and attempted mass genocide. True, he had a little bit of redemption towards the end, but still that redemption was only solidified through his death. Spoilers for Infinity War, but hey, it's been out for over a year. I have no idea what form Blaine's fate is going to come in. Spoilery promo pics give me an idea, and I don't really <clears throat> think he'll find redemption through his death. It's not a spoiler to say Blaine dies.
1: Well,
3: what? Do, how do you know for sure? You don't know. He just assumes. Tell? Okay. <laughs> Just a second. Okay. I don't know that. Okay. So Tim doesn't know that, but that's just my own theory. (laughs) And going off of something Robin said in a prior episode, Blaine's totally going to die. I hope Tim is around to see it.
2: Yep. I did say that.
3: (laughs) The upside is that Blaine is a fantastic villain. So whatever time we have left with him is sure to be a ride. Hopefully the rest of the cast survives and we'll be able to assume that they go on to have happy lives when we say goodbye to them. Tim. P.S. Oh, right. I said myself only a few short weeks ago that this wasn't just the Blaine show. Let me, of all people, try to be concise. I was a little icked out by Donna e. and Darcy's relationship at first due to the perceived age differences. But, God damn. Uh, all the awards for, <laughs> <laughs> for Bryce... In that last scene, all the awards for Bryce in that last scene he had, probably the most heartfelt moment the character has ever had. Also, yeah, that was very melodramatic. That was very uh, romantic. Also, okay, yeah, uh, to uh, to some people, um, Darcy and Donnie's relationship, like he seems older than her to some people. He doesn't, it doesn't to me.
4: Uh, yeah. And Uh, we've talked about that in the writer's room a little bit too. And I I can't remember how old Bryce is. I don't think we've ever said how old the character of Donnie is. Um, and we've suggested that Freilich kids, uh, you know, don't make it out of their teens, but we also put Darcy in college. Mm -hmm. So I think we were imagining that maybe she's 20. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's why I think there's, there is a line somewhere, maybe it got cut, but that she's already made it past her sell-by date. And so really it could happen at any moment. Um, Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that, you know, if you imagine that Donnie is late twenties, it's not as much of a gap, but for sure it was discussed. And, um, you know, maybe it would have been ideal if his character was 25 or under, but um, we also didn't want to, we liked the storyline so much that we felt like we could live with that age difference as as icky as some people may find it. (laughs)
2: Well, it's actually funny. I pointed out on a podcast when this romance first started coming up that, uh, the actors are actually the same age. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I think they're
4: like oh, 20, right. both 29, I think. Something like that. Oh, well then. Yeah. yeah. It's fine. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's not like she's in any way, you know, uh, under his influence or in a, uh, position where he has authority over her. I mean, she's very clearly making her own choices. And also, I would argue, uh, given that she's been living with this death sentence her whole life, she's probably got a different kind of uh, and level of maturity than yeah, your average twenty-year-old college it. kid. For sure. Yeah, she's more mature.
3: Okay, uh, Tim, continues. Also, no, we sh- shouldn't slow cap- clap for candy, but let's slow clap for candy. After getting sucked into a life where she had no choice but to hang around criminals to survive, I'm glad she got out and now has a whole life ahead of her. Her final scene with Donnie was quite sweet. Some trivia. This is the first time in five seasons in which our main villain, Blaine, has attacked our main hero, Liv. He's hurt her loved ones, countless other people, but this is the first time he's hurt her. Unless you count him burning her hand so she could go full zombie against Harley Johns and his crew. A not-so-fun fact.
2: <laughs> that's funny. I'm trying to think, like, Blaine's world. I mean, she had a gun on him. Um, you know, I don't know if any blows were exchanged, but, um, yeah, that's interesting. I never thought of that.
3: Yeah, I'll take Tim's word for it since he's the Blaine, the authority on Blaine. <laughs> he's got the
2: Blaine, Blaine, <laughs> Blaine Wikipedia running. Uh,
4: yeah. <laughs> unless you
2: could think of a different time, Bob. I don't know.
4: Not off the top of my head, no. Yeah.
2: All right. Uh, I finally got my uh, phone working so I can get our voicemail here playing. This is from Jeff, as he calls himself X Force 11.
0: Hello, Robin and Steph. This is Jeff, X Force 11. Oh my goodness. This has to be my favorite episode of the series. I absolutely loved it. It was (laughs) noir in a way that felt authentic. It felt so cool the way that they shaded everything and their explanations for why things were shaded that way. I love the paint by light look uh, on Liz eyes when they had her in you know the shadow except for over her eyes i enjoyed the kind of the sleuthing that she underwent i loved the fight scene between her and blaine <laughs> it's so funny that they have the first time we really get to see ali sing on the show and she has to play like she's singing drunk karaoke badly i mean i almost feel sorry that's acting for her <laughs> when she has to act like she can't sing oh that was so funny but i love this whole episode i'm glad that liv and Ravi are working together and i liked the ins and outs that we got this episode it was just a great episode and like i said i think it's the one i like best Best so far out of this series. All right. Those are my thoughts. X Force eleven out.
2: <laughs> all right
3: I feel like that Well, those
2: are some kind yeah, words.
3: Yeah, I feel like a lot of people feel that way. That's from what I've saw, that was everybody's uh
2: reaction.
4: Right on.
3: All right, Robin.
2: Oh yeah, I'll, I'll, your voice you is go, your voice is going, so I'm gonna I'm gonna get to read in here. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, Dave says, uh, "Evening folks, only three episodes to go. Things are falling into place now. The the noir treatment was handled quite well, very close without going full on black and white. Well, Martin's dirty secret is out now. I so wanted to believe he was changing, but nope. Loved the lamp reveal reversal on Blaine from last week. I've always wanted to do this on someone, but never got the opportunity. Well, keep trying, Dave." Um, major shower room confrontation Wow that was sudden uh, Darcy and Donnie fun together And getting married uh, So w- I, I'll just interject here we're, Bob we're looking for a uh, Wedding finale right I mean that's going to happen you, you, don't,
4: you don't remember probably right <laughs> uh, I, will neither, I will neither confirm nor deny that there is a wedding <laughs> finale Uh
2: Drunk Peyton was a lot of fun to watch. While silly, her TV show may have s- actually saved Seattle for now. Blaine and Liv fight. Go get him, Liv. Of course, uh, Blaine finds a way to skate out of trouble by blaming Crybaby. General Muse assuming nothing is going to stop him. And finally, nice move, Candy. She took, she saw her chance and took it. See you next week. Thanks, Dave. Um, no, Dave. up next is e I'll read him. Uh, Hey, Robin and Steph. Wow. Just wow. Remember Beanpole Bob's description of the effects of the Boat Party Utopium a few episodes back? I think I know how he felt. The rational portion of my brain just shut down in a flood of pure joy and amazement at this one. So many gorgeous looking shots and so many great scenes. Seriously, I think I wanted to rewatch this episode as soon as it was over. So, so good. I'm not even going to try to comment on the main action. I'll just leave a few random comments on the smaller stuff. Uh, his first thing is, all roads lead to Romero was the most brilliant pun ever. I saw that title card and immediately thought, this is going to be fun. Biggest understatement of the year. Uh, the candy payoff was fantastic, and I can't wait for your interview with Carrie Ann Fleming. Yes, it was. that was a lot of fun. Um, I seem to recall Peyton telling Blaine back in the day that we don't want to see her on tequila. And I guess we now know why. <laughs> <laughs> uh we finally get ali machaka a solo solo singing part and it has to be that <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I i guess we'll t- make another reference to hellcats there there are a couple of uh ali machaka singing moments on that show and uh i you know you can check those out too um Oh, let's uh, oh, uh, even though this feels like the umpteenth zombie on zombie kitchen fight in this show, I could have used another few minutes of Liv beating up Blaine. Really, there's been a lot of zombie on zombie kitchen fights. I don't remember a lot
4: or any. Well, I guess season one there was her and um, can't remember his name, but uh, the one where Peyton basically discovered she was a zombie. Oh, that's true. It was yeah, in their kitchen wasn't
3: it? Oh, yeah. Yeah,
2: I was thinking of like Maggie. Yeah,
4: meat cute. Uh, yeah Oh right, of course
2: uh, Okay, uh, Blaine turning on Crybaby Carl Had better lead to some serious payback uh, Hi Zombie actually paid off Didn't see that coming I want some more Donnie and Darcy scenes Their breakup and reunion was too rushed But I'm looking forward to the two of them teaming up To cause some beautiful ruckus And here's where I tip my hat to the writers I'm fully invested in this little story Between two relatively minor characters While at the same time we're gearing up for an absolutely bat-poop, insane final battle. General Mills teaming up with the Chicks, while Martin Roberts says his bit with the obedient Romeros. And the rogue Fillmore Graves Grew has all the makings of an epic. I'm so glad that the writer's pulling out all the stops on this. I can't wait to see what's next. All the best, Ephrax. Rad.
3: Oh, I was going to read Maddie's. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, oh, you want uh, me to read that
3: one? It's even longer. I'll
2: do the. I'll do. You can. Do, you can get the Facebook ready. We'll, we'll, okay. You can start on those comments. Uh, Maddie. Um, Maddie says, uh, "Hello, Robin and Seth," and, and she means to say Bob, but she didn't realize. <clears throat> I have nothing but praise for this episode, starting from the stylistic choices to the plot. I Zombie is at its best when it embraces the weird. After reading an Entertainment Weekly interview with Rob Thomas about how long it took Bob to make the episode happen, this, the fandom. Couldn't be more grateful he got to do it for the final season, especially because it fits with the tone of the season. The case of the week was compelling, and the victim's brains, P.I. and Femme Fatale, had the right amount of camp that it was never unbearable. The episode plays both as an homage and as a parody, and it manages to stick the landing, in my honest opinion. Um, (laughs) bag. Martin Roberts has to be one of the most menacing characters on the show right after Mr. Boss. We don't know what he's thinking, and he's charming enough to fool our protagonists into believing he's got good intentions. I'm very interested to see how the storyline will end, because it seems no matter what happens, Liv will end up with getting her heart broken. In the words of Ravi, believing in people isn't a character flaw, but duplicity is. wonder if it will take long before Liv finds out about the infiltrator in her crew. Uh, It was very nice to see our former acting mayor, Peyton Charles, having some fun and relaxing, but also kicking ass in a fight. She had one of the best lines and line deliveries right at the end of the episode when she reminded Major about the guy who offed himself (laughs) dark comedy at his finest. Yeah, that was great. We kind of skipped over that. (laughs) Uh, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but the fact that Martin was using Max Rager to gain control over the Romeros reminded me so much of the season two finale in which Vonda Clark released a gas. To deanimate Rita and Major. The season had so many callbacks, I wouldn't be so surprised, wouldn't be surprised if it was intentional. The weaponization of zombies is an interesting angle that I have not seen developed in any other zombie show. The full-on zombie fight was epic, and after everything Blaine has put lived through, I hope we get to see her be the one to bring him down in the season finale. And speaking of characters who need to get what they deserve. Dolly Durkins has shown time and time again what a closed-minded bigot she is. I would not be surprised a certain orange-colored president sided with her in General Mills. Kudos to Jennifer Irwin for playing such a despicable character. Uh, I'm so happy that Candy got her happy ending. Donnie and Blaine took her for granted and she fooled everyone. That last shot of her smiling in the reflection of the Space Needle in the background was particularly epic. Goodbye to our sweet trivia night genie. Next episode looks fun. I'm so happy our show is ending with a phenomenal season. Take that, Game of Thrones! I, <laughs> I apologize in advance if you guys lose your breath while reading my review, but we only got three episodes left. And hearing you guys has been one of the highlights of my experience in as zombie fandom. Thank you so much for your hard work and all the amazing interviews and behind the scenes you shared with us. Uh, until next time, Maddie. Thank you, Maddie. And, yes, I uh, edited out a a throat clearing uh, during your email, but it happened. It definitely happened.
3: (laughs) All right. I've got Facebook. Uh, James says, that episode was outstanding. Absolutely one of the best episodes of the entire series. It's fun to see Mm -hmm. the secrets coming to light. There's not a whole lot of those left, in my opinion. In fact, I kind of wonder if they're slightly jumping the gun. All we have left... Uh, all we have left typo. <laughs> uh huh. All we have left blank our knowledge of Deadly Dolly's mis hmm. hmm. All we have left something <laughs> our knowledge of Deadly Dolly's misdeeds and possibly the missing element for the cure. If it's not in those sheets, Liv and Ravi are in the process of stealing. I also want to mention the Liv Blame fight. About time! I imagine Liv exercises a few demons with that one. Very cathartic. Oh, and I, Jeff is I see very what he says, uh, ecstatic.
2: Yeah, what James is? James was saying all is, all we have left, and the uh, it's as far as I know it's A-F-A-I-K.
3: Oh, oh sorry, I don't know what the kids are <laughs> you know abbreviating these days. Uh, Chris, said, I mean. yeah, Chris says, "Wow!" and Steven says, I'm super happy Candy got a ending, let alone a happy ending. I wasn't sure if the writers were going to tie up her story or not.
2: Well, they tied up Candy. So. <laughs> oh, wait. I didn't mean to say that. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, I guess that's all our feedback. Um, so, uh, yeah, man. Victory lap, Bob. Thank you uh, so much for uh, um, dropping by and, and talking about this episode.
4: Thank you very much for having me. and And, you know. Inviting me on all these times has been a pretty cool, you know, cherry on top of the whole iZombie experience. So I really appreciate it. I hope that everyone enjoys the uh, final three episodes, especially how we, you know, wrap it up in the big finale. Any,
2: uh, any teases, anything, any little nuggets, anything.
4: (laughs) Um, We will have one more Veronica Mars alumna. Oh. Oh. uh, Alumnus. The fourth (laughs) most. cool yeah
2: you have me thinking okay
4: (laughs) that's a good one
2: okay cool thank you for sharing that
4: (laughs) um um yeah thank you guys so much um it's been a pleasure every every single time out so uh sad it's over but i'm glad we got to do it
2: yeah yeah all right uh well have a good night and uh you know give the dog a pat for us
4: World do. Thanks, Robin. Thanks, Steph. Bye. Okay. Okay. The last
2: three. Thank you. Yeah.
4: Thank you so
3: much. Bye.
4: You bet. Thanks, guys. Bye.
2: We want to thank again uh, Bob Dearden for uh, stopping by so many times on our podcast. And uh, gosh, it's just it's so crazy. It is it is almost over. <laughs> it's no, so crazy. To it. Like I. Bye. I I'm not even sure when I'll talk to you ever again. But <laughs> no. you're awesome. Uh, <laughs> um, all right, so uh, before I cry, I'm gonna <laughs> say <laughs> next time on I is it's we have the episode Killer Queen, uh, and uh, here is the preview.
4: Next Thursday, okay? Let's get weird. What's
2: the saying, live
1: fast, die young, leave a beautiful corpse. Are you ready to be fabulous?
3: Lovely
2: outfit, really pops against these green walls. I-Zombie, The final season continues next Thursday, 8 7 Central on the CW. And that was the uh, promo for Killer Queen, written by John M Baum and Kit Boss. As you heard, you know, John M Baum was kind of running the show this season uh for a good, good portion of the season. Um and this is his last episode that he's kind of in charge of the uh the show, being the showrunner for, and I believe Rob and Diane. Um, after their Veronica Marzutis came back and uh, worked on the last two. Uh, So um, this episode description is Liv Liv Goes Old School. Liv and Clive investigate the death of an old school drag queen, which leads Liv to eat and shift into the queen's brain. Meanwhile, Ravi reaches out to Major with an interesting request. Hmm. Would you like to have a sleepover? Uh, <laughs> that's I'm 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 just assuming it's that. Do you want to make s'mores with me? I love you. Uh, <laughs> that's basically. Uh, I'm thinking that it, that's the interesting request between Ravi and Major. Okay. Are you
3: listening? Now, what's the name of this Killer Queen? This is... Okay, I wonder why they're saying old school. Yeah,
2: I don't understand what's what's old school versus. Of course, I'm not very versed in you know drag race and all the drag. Stuff so you'll apo- I apologize in advance for uh, being kind of uh, uh, deft about the whole thing as we, we cover next well, week's episode. But when
3: you say old school, I think I, I don't know. I, don't know. I, I just I'm just really I have no idea what to expect.
2: Yeah, well, we'll find out, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> It was a scorcher of an evening in July The kind that would boil a frog in a puddle But I'm glad I got the, a chance to bump gums with a dame like you
3: You flatter me, you mug But you're peddling your fish in the wrong market Why don't you hem it up somewhere else before you get caught in the rain?
2: Listen here, Tuts We work the same side of the street And I don't want to get into a snarling match with you, you see?
3: Well, we got three more of these, you big palooka Keep your nose clean until the sun sets and I won't have to tell you to go home and get your shine box.
2: Duly noted, sister. I've known some pretty hard cases in my time. You make them all look like putty. Now beat it.
3: Bite an egg.
2: Go climb up your thumb.
3: Go spit in your hat.
2: Go kiss a duck. Make with the feet. Nuts to you.
3: Scram. Okay.
2: Okay. Thank you for listening to the iZombie Podcast with Robin and Steph. Obligatory contact info in 3, 2, 1, go.
3: Send in your feedback to iZombiePodcast at gmail.com. All of our contact info is on our website, iZombiePodcast.com.
2: You can follow Steph on Twitter at Steph Smith.
3: You can follow Robin at Yarrow.
2: Our podcast logo is designed by D. Sheehan. You can find her work at Behance.net slash D. Sheehan
3: check out our other podcasts. You can listen to us binge watch through great shows like Dawson's Creek, Smallville, Veronica Mars, and When iZombie Ends, Gilmore Girls. Just subscribe to We Don't Want to Wait on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Be sure to check out TV Time. If you want to join a global community of TV watchers where our podcast, among others, is currently streaming, download the TV Time app today. Go to TVTime.com for more details.
3: Please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. We do this in our spare time, so your ratings and reviews are much appreciated. And the only payment we
2: ask are your kind words. And make sure it's on the correct feed. We are the iZombie Podcast with Robin and Steph.
3: And we're done. You think anyone's still listening?
2: Oh, they totally are.
3: Bye,
1: zombie. Live forever!